Parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. Being a chef means keeping your cool in the kitchen. And with Resi Priority Notify and Global Dining Access through my Amex Platinum card, right this way, it's nice to try someone else's food for a change. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. The secret to catching prize-worthy fish? Fishing like a local. Jonas Knox here with Fishing Booker. The valuable knowledge of a local guide can turn a fishing trip of no bites into the best catch of the day. Go to fishingbooker.com to discover thousands of local fishing charters from all around the world and create your perfect angling adventure with their easy-to-use online booking system. Visit fishingbooker.com and book your trip today. Fishing Booker. Fishing trips made easy. Hey, it's Jonas Knox. Winter is coming. Heavy rain, sleet, snow, and ice. Are your tires up for the challenge? Tread confidently in winter's worst with a set of new tires from Tire Rack. They sell only the best, like the full line of Michelin tires. Go to TireRack.com sports. Tell them what you drive. Your tires will ship fast and free to you or one of over 10,000 recommended installers. TireRack.com, the way tire buying should be. Live from the Geico Outkick Studios, where 15 minutes could save you 15% or more on car insurance. Visit geico.com for a free rate quote. I hope all of you had a spectacular Easter weekend. Saturday night's games, my wife is a Michigan alum. We were sitting back watching Loyola versus Michigan, and I was convinced. I said, look, Sister Jean sold her soul to the devil. There's no way that Loyola of Chicago is going to lose this game against Michigan. And uh, then they fell apart down the stretch on Easter weekend, no less. Congratulations to the Wolverines. On the flip side, Villanova dominates throughout basically the entirety of the game against Kansas, and so we get Villanova against Michigan. Now, you know who listen to this show regularly. I'm not the kind of guy who likes to brag or draw attention to himself. More of a uh, more of a quiet kind of shrinking, uh, hiding, you know, uh, just kind of quiet guy. But I did say on this show, and I did tweet out, and I did tell you all that my title game pick when the brackets came out was Michigan against Villanova, and that I was picking Villanova to win it all. And guess what? I absolutely nailed the national title game. So tonight, we've got that game going on. Probably going to take a nap. What time does that game start? About 9 o'clock Eastern? It's one of those nights where you got a late night game. Got to take a nap. Make sure that I'm awake and plugged in and ready to roll for the end of that game. But I think that Villanova is going to run away with it. I think Villanova is going to win by double digits. Uh, Villanova, I believe, has won all five of their games so far in the NCAA tournament by 12 or more. One of the more dominant runs we've seen through five games so far. If they were to win a sixth by double digits, there's only a couple of teams, I think, that have ever done that. And Jay Wright would join the 12 other men in NCAA tournament history who've won multiple national titles as a coach. And he would become only the third active coach alongside of Coach K 
and Roy Williams to have won two or more titles and be a current basketball coach right now. Now, maybe Rick Pitino is going to come back. We can talk about whether or not his Louisville title is still going to end up counting when all is said and done. Uh, Certainly, uh, Jim Calhoun has ridden off into the sunset with his three. Maybe one day Billy Donovan comes back from the NBA and leaves behind the Oklahoma City Thunder and decides to return to college basketball, and he could come back, and he has two, obviously. But in the meantime, for Jay Wright, this is a massive game tonight with the opportunity to establish himself as one of the all-time great college basketball coaches. It's tough to win one. It's insanely difficult to win two. And so Jay Wright would have won two in three years. And if the, the Nova can win tonight, then he will have done it pretty much this year in dominant fashion. In a year when all the other top seeds, it seemed like, were challenged and battled and lost down the stretch of these games, Villanova so far has coasted through every game and not really been challenged down the stretch. Now, maybe that means that Michigan will be able to put up a good fight. I certainly hope the game is going to go well. As uh, a man who's married to a Michigan alum, I would not be uh, upset if Michigan were able to win. My wife would be happy. And if you are a married man, you know that when your wife is happy, when mama happy, when mama's happy, everybody's happy. When mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. Well, it's not bad in my house for mama to be happy. On the flip side, Jay Wright, we just talked about getting his second national title. What about Michigan? If Michigan could win their first championship in basketball since 1989 when Ramil Robinson and Glenn Rice were on the court, when Ramil Robinson sank those two free throws, I believe they were playing P.J. Carlissimo and Seton Hall in the title game that year, way back in 1989. Uh, Michigan has since won a half of a title in 1997 in uh, the Charles Woodson bogus Heisman Trophy year when they split with Nebraska. If all of that takes place... If all of that happens, uh, then for Michigan, it'll be a pretty big win. And obviously, it also changes John Beeline's life forever because at his age, he becomes a national championship winning coach and uh, sort of rises to the level of, of champion, which is a hard level to reach. So there is much at stake here tonight for both men, for both programs. Uh, Jim Harbaugh somewhere. It's funny to think about as I take shots at Jim Harbaugh for the amount of attention he has gotten at Michigan for a football program. I haven't seen Harbaugh involved very much in the uh, Michigan basketball run, but I anticipate him showing up in the in the uh, in the arena for some reason and drawing attention to himself tonight because uh, it's good that Jim Harbaugh would be able to see a team that finishes uh, in the championship running since his teams have not done so despite all of the attention that he has received as the savior of Michigan football. So if Beeline could get this done, first of all, it again points to how fine the line is between abject failure in the NCAA tournament that is hard to ever get over and the joy of, uh, of, of championship. Because if you remember, Michigan in round two, I'm sorry, Houston fans, Michigan in round two was down two And I believe I'm correct that Houston had two free throws to shoot with 3.6 seconds left, and they missed both. If I don't even remember who the guy was who was shooting. If he hits both those free throws, Michigan's eliminated. If he hits one, then best-case scenario, even with the crazy three that they hit with virtually no time remaining on the clock uh, when the ball was let go of his hand, 
then we go to overtime, and Michigan could or could not have lost that game. But effectively, the Wolverines were down to their very last breath in round two and close to not even advancing to the Sweet 16. They made the three there. They won by one. And since then, they have looked uh, very good. They dominated against Texas A&M. Uh, they found a, uh, a way to, uh, to advance into the Elite Eight, and then they got past Loyola of Chicago. All of that has looked very seamless so far for the Michigan Wolverines. So we got that big game. I'll open up the phone lines. I'll bring in the crew in the next segment. Uh, otherwise, there's a couple of things I wanted to hit on uh, as well as we continue towards the, uh, towards the NFL draft. I read a great article. Read a great article breaking down the uh, the quarterback position, and in particular, where do you need to draft to land a franchise quarterback? This is a while back in the Wall Street Journal. I read it, and uh, it breaks down the difference between taking a quarterback in the top five picks. I haven't seen anybody else do this data. What's the difference between taking a quarterback in the top five picks in picks six through ten and in picks eleven through thirty-two in the first round? Because I think a lot of people myself included, think, oh, there's probably not that much difference in the overall outcome, given that a lot of it is 50-50. If you take a quarterback number one overall, or if you take a quarterback, let's say, number 15 overall, or number 20 or number 28, you know, basically, if you're a first-round quarterback, I would think success levels would be similar, whether you're the first pick overall or the 25th pick overall. It's not actually true. I want to break down that and talk about why it matters as we look at the top of the draft this year. And uh, increasingly, as I pay attention to it, I'll give you my top five picks, what I think is going to happen at the top of the NFL draft. Increasingly, I believe that we are likely to see quarterbacks go one, two, and three, and that the Browns are going to have a chance to go with the fourth pick and take Saquon Barkley as well as getting a quarterback. That would obviously be an ideal scenario for the Cleveland Browns, assuming they don't trade out and find a way to get more value for their first and fourth overall picks, which I think it's unlikely at this point. I think Sam Darnold, I'll go ahead and give you a tease. I think Sam Darnold is going to go number one overall. I think that's the uh, the most likely outcome. But obviously, we're going to open here with the NCAA tournament. I'll bring in the crew. We will talk about what we thought, uh, what we think of this game. Again, not the kind of guy to brag, but I did predict Michigan against Villanova. I'm sticking to Villanova winning. I'm taking Villanova also to cover uh, in this game. And uh, we will break down what it means for Beeline, what it means for Jay Wright, and the overall college basketball universe. Because will, and this is, I, I think, an interesting question, will the FBI and the NCAA and all of these sordid details attached to college basketball reveal themselves more significantly in the wake of what will be the final college basketball game of the season? Will there be a bunch of guys out there who feel like they may be named in this investigation who decide to consider the NBA more seriously than they have in past years? What's the overall uh, situation going to be? Also, by the way, it's Masters week. I think we'll dive into the Masters for sure and talk about everything that's going on at Augusta. Tiger Woods is back. What does that mean for the world of golf? What do we think is likely to happen in the Masters? All of that, much to get to. It's one of the best weeks of the year in sports. I'm excited to be spending it with you guys. Also, I know it's spring now for many of you, but man, it's also still cold lots of places. So how many of you are going to be sitting back 
watching the Masters starting on Thursday, although many of you will probably watch the Par 3 Challenge on Wednesday. All of that and more will break down for you as we move through the week. I am Clay Travis. This is Outkick the Coverage on Fox Sports Radio. Up next, we'll talk a little bit about this game, Michigan versus Villanova, and I'll also tell you my top five picks in the NFL draft now that we enter a new week. It's going to be a Monday tradition until we actually get to the NFL draft. This is Fox Sports Radio. Car shopping can be confusing with terms like dealer price, list price, and invoice. True Car shows you what other people paid for the car you want so you can recognize a good price. When you're ready to buy a new or used car, visit True Car to enjoy a more confident car buying experience. Got to tell you, um, this game also, I would say tonight, could be big for the Big Ten. And let me explain why. The Big Ten fancies itself a conference that competes for championships. And by the way, congratulations, Notre Dame won the women's title last night. Big shot, three hit at the buzzer, two walk-off wins for Notre Dame over UConn and Mississippi State to uh, to win a championship. But the Big Ten fancies, fancies itself as a conference that wins championships. Yet, if you look at the history of the Big Ten... By and large, the conference really doesn't win very many championships in men's basketball and in football. 21st century, so starting since the year 2000, uh, the Big Ten has won a title, I believe, in 2002 with Ohio State. And in 2000, was it 14? I think it was 2014. Maybe it was 13. Whatever year it was, the, uh, the first year of the college football playoff, Ohio State wins a title. So, Ohio State has won two titles in football. Uh, Michigan won a half of a title because they split with Nebraska in 1997 in football. Otherwise, I believe I am correct, in 2000, Michigan State won the college basketball national title. That was Tom Izzo's only title. They beat Florida in the 2000 national title game. And I think prior to that, the last title, I believe I'm correct, you guys can correct me if I'm wrong, The last title that the Big Ten won in college basketball was Michigan in 1989. So if you go all the way back through 1989 to now, which is almost 30 years, it's a pretty long time. There's lots of people listening to us right now who hear 1989 and they're like, man, that was a long time ago. Scary to me because I remember the night my my buddy likes to say, uh, one of my good buddies likes to say, you knew the year well if you can remember what the baseball cards looked like. So I remember 1989 baseball cards really well. That was the year, if I'm not mistaken, that the Ken Griffey Jr. upper deck card number one came out. Like that was the year that upper deck was like, hey, I'm going to dunk on you, Donruss, Fleer, and Tops. We got the 1989 upper deck card that's coming out. It's going to revitalize the card industry and just dunk all over Tops, Fleer, and Donruss. If you're my age... Remember the baseball card collecting boom? Upper Deck came out, and it was like the Mona Lisa of the card uh, trading card industry. And the number one card, boom, right there, King Griffey Jr., uh, rookie card, number one in the set, one of the great calls all time in the world of card collecting. But you go all the way back to 1989, which was the year Ramil Robinson hit his free throws. And the Big Ten, if my math is correct here, live math always a challenge with me, you got three, two and a half titles in football, and you've got two titles in basketball. So you got four and a half national championships in the sports that people really care about going all the way back to 1989. And you can go back even further 
and the title situation doesn't get that much better, until, especially until you go back to when Bobby Knight won his last title. So Indiana had a run there with Bobby Knight, but in football, there haven't been that many titles. Michigan, for all of the acclaim that the Michigan football program gets, they don't win that often in terms of on the big national stage. And that's why Michigan fans are so insecure when I point out, hey, Jim Harbaugh hasn't really done anything as your coach so far. He hasn't finished better than third in the Big Ten East. So for the Big Ten, Michigan getting a title here would be a really big deal. be a big deal for the conference to win their their second title in basketball in the 21st century. And so I don't think they're going to do it, but I think it would be a, uh, a big deal. Now let me bring in the crew. I put up a poll question. You can find me on Twitter. Uh, you can also always download this show, listen on iTunes, uh, as millions of you are doing uh, every single month. But uh, I put up a poll because I don't think, this is an interesting result. It's an interesting result from my followers. I'm blown away, actually, by the poll results. This is why I put up poll questions. I don't think Villanova or Michigan are particularly unlikable. That is, I don't think there are very many people out there listening unless you just hate Michigan because you're an Ohio State fan or because you are a Michigan State fan. I don't think there are that many people out there who find the University of Michigan to be an unlikable school because I mentioned before, they don't actually win that much. Now, you might not like them because you feel like they get way more attention than their titles would actually justify, and that I can understand. But in general, Michigan is like kind of a lovable loser. And Villanova, I don't think anybody hates Villanova. I mean, you have to be a pretty sad person to be like, oh, I despise Villanova with every fiber of my being. Maybe you could be a member of the Big Five crew in the Philadelphia area and you're a St. Joe's fan uh, or you're a Temple fan or whatever it is and you just hate to see them succeed. You hate to see Nova having success. You're a LaSalle fan. You're sitting around. There aren't that many of those people. Who you got tonight, I'll give you the results uh, when we get over 1,000 votes because that's when they become most reliable. But these results in the poll question, at Clay Travis on Twitter, you can find me. Who you guys got? Let's uh, let's bring in um, the uh, let's bring in the crew. Uh, Jason Martin, Danny G, and Justin out in L.A. I'll start with you, Jason Martin. Are you with me that both of these teams, Michigan and Villanova, not particularly unlikable? Therefore, I don't think there's like a love and a hate relationship about this game. I think it could be a really good basketball game. I think the way Nova is shooting right now, if they keep that up. Nobody can stay close to him. Michigan's not a particularly great three-point shooting team. Wagner was amazing. I mean, he won that game. He dunked all over Sister Jean by himself down the stretch of that game. Looked like a young dirty, honestly, is who he reminded me of a little bit. The way he could step out, that step back three he hit to tie it at 47. The plays he can make inside. I mean, he's a hell of a player. That's as good of a Final Four performance. He went for 24-15, and 15, as we have seen in a very long time. But who you got tonight? Are you with me, Jason Martin? You got Villanova, and do you agree with me that neither one of these teams is unlikable? And both Jay Wright and John Beeline, pretty likable dudes. The players on these teams, likable. I just, I, I don't see a reason why one team should have a strong rooting interest and the other shouldn't. Yeah, I agree with you. I think Villanova wins by double digits. I've just watched them shoot throughout this tournament, and they continue to blow me away. I'm actually bored watching the three-point shot at this stage of my basketball career, and Saturday night, early in the second half I'd had just about enough not because I was upset watching Villanova just because I knew Kansas going three for two 
every time down the floor was just going to continue to fall further and further behind and that they had no chance of coming back in that game. The problem for anybody facing Villanova is, yeah, you can chase a couple of people off the three-point line, but how do you chase eight guys off the three-point line? There's always somebody, everybody on that floor can make a three for Villanova. And you're right, Wagner was amazing in that first game against Loyola Chicago. It looked like the Ramblers had all the momentum and then completely lost it because Wagner just took over that basketball game. And then a couple of his teammates kind of rallied behind him and started making some shots late in that game. But but I do agree pretty much on all your points here. Beeline and Wright are both likable coaches in general. Uh, there's nobody on the floor for either. There's no Grayson Allen here for those that want to hate on Duke. There's nobody like that. There's, there's nobody on either side to dislike. I think tonight, as basketball fans, as sports fans, let's just root for a good basketball game. I think Villanova wins it easily. I'm hoping it does not go that way. I'm hoping this one goes down to the end. And just to point this out, in title games for the Big Ten since Michigan State won the championship in 2000, the Big Ten is 0-6. Indiana lost in 0-2 to Maryland. 2005, Illinois lost to Carolina. 0-7, Thad Mata's Ohio State team lost to Florida. 0-9, Michigan State lost to Carolina, got blown out by 17. 0-3, John Beeline's Michigan team lost to uh, Louisville, 13 rather. And then 2015, Wisconsin lost to Duke. So 0-6 for Big Ten when they've reached the title game in college basketball since Tom Izzo won in 2000. That's a great stat. I knew it wasn't good uh, when because they've had a lot of teams in the Final Four, the Big Ten is, but they haven't been able to find a way to actually win the title. And for those of you out there who love to gamble, uh, and that's a lot of our audience, Villanova is a six-and-a-half-point favorite in tonight's uh, national title game against Michigan. Would have been a double-digit favorite over Loyola if Loyola had been able to continue their magical run. Uh, poll, poll results. Now that we're over a thousand votes, you can go find me at Clay Travis. You can click your own uh, vote in here. I'm stunned by this. I'm curious if you guys are too. Who you got tonight, Michigan or Villanova? 82% of my audience out there voting right now is on Villanova. I, I, I mean, I thought it would be roughly 50 50. Um, you know, I think I'm probably rooting for Michigan because I'd like for my wife to be happy uh, as a Michigan alum. But 82% of the vote going Villanova, is that because there's a lot of SEC fans that follow me that just viscerally can't stand the Big Ten? Is that we've got, I know I've got a lot of Ohio State fans that follow me. Uh, are Ohio State fans rooting against Michigan? Are Michigan State fans rooting against Michigan? Um, I'd be curious to actually know that, uh, that result. Let's bring in the crew out in L.A. Does that stun you? I mean, because to me, this looks like two teams that are pretty evenly matched that should be evenly liked. And Villanova is a six-and-a-half-point favorite. To have 82% of people saying they're rooting for Villanova, I mean, frankly, kind of stunned me when I saw the uh, poll results popping in. Yeah, I I don't think it would stun us just because of the anti-Big Ten followers that you have. You're saying rooting, and I I think, uh, like, logically, a lot of us know Villanova, their head and shoulders above everybody, it seems like, just watching them you know, uh, blow teams out. Uh, although Michigan is likable, you're right. I like both teams, um, and got to say, Michigan. They also have some of the best uniforms in the country. Uh, so every time they're on HD, they pop off the screen. Uh, Wagner is a beast. That was awesome watching him on that hustle play crash into the broadcast table and smash coaches' glasses. Uh, both games were fun, but yeah, I think that Jalen Brunson, 
uh, led by Jay Wright. Villanova just has too much, and they're gonna they're gonna get the championship. So two votes for Nova. Who you got, Justin Cooper? Are you also on Nova train? Yeah, it's not who I'm rooting for, but that's who I think's gonna win. Yeah, I, I think it's intriguing. Let me go ahead and bring in Eddie Garcia, and then uh, I, I tease a little bit on the NFL draft, and we will hit that in a second. But I've actually got a question and or discussion that I'm going to have. Something happened to me down on the beach. I got into an argument with a woman, uh, and I think you guys are going to enjoy what this argument was based on. I want to see if you think I was in the right or if I was in the wrong here. Uh, but first, Eddie Garcia, let's uh, let's bring you in. Well, Clay, we've got uh, nine days left in the NBA regular season. Checking some games of note. The Spurs have out their playoff chances with a 100-83 win over the Rockets. Houston's 11-game winning streak comes to an end. Warriors beat the Suns 117-107. Golden State now 2-0 with Kevin Durant, Draymond Green, and Klay Thompson all back in the lineup returning from injury. The Pelicans lose to the Thunder 109-104 while the Nuggets beat the Bucks 128-125 in overtime. So Denver's one game back in New Orleans for the final playoff spot in the West. It's a baseball games of note. The Blue Jays beat the Yankees 7-4. Justin Smoke drove in six runs for Toronto, hitting a pair of home runs. Astros beat the Rangers 8-2 in his debut with the World Series champs. Pitcher Garrett Cole gets the win. Seven innings, one run, two hits with 11 strikeouts. Sunday night baseball saw the Dodgers beat up on the Giants 9-0. This report brought to you by True Car. Online car shopping can be confusing, but not anymore with True Price from True Car. Now you can know the exact price you'll pay for your next car. So visit True Car and enjoy a more confident car buying experience. And uh, Clay, one note from the NFL, former Jets and Giants quarterback Geno Smith has reached an agreement on a one-year deal with the LA Chargers to back up Phillip Rivers in five seasons. He's got 29 touchdowns, 36 interceptions in 35 games played. Good deal. Uh, we're coming to you live from the Geico Outkick Studios. Easy to save 15% or more on car insurance with Geico. Go to geico.com or call 800-947-AUTO. The only hard part, figuring out which way is easier. So, uh, this would have been Friday night. Uh, Friday night, I have finished the show. You guys know. I mean, I finished the show. I go home. I write. I try to be done and dialed out because I work a lot of hours on Friday by around noon. So I was, we're out having a good time. I'm down at the beach with my family. My two oldest boys are on spring break. And so we go to Seaside. Uh, Seaside, for those of you who don't know, it's where they film the Truman Show. It's a beautiful beachside community, literally on the ocean, uh, right down on the Gulf Coast uh, between, um, uh, between Destin and Panama City Beach. So we're there at Seaside, and on it's really cool, all these little communities, which are great for kids, they show movies um, inside like the little amphitheater there. They have this, this, this grass field amphitheater that they have made right off the road. They bring in like a big blow-up screen, and they show movies there every Friday night when the weather's good. So starting in March, all the way basically up until I, I think after Labor Day. So they'll show a Friday night movie. People bring blankets. They put them down in front. All the kids are like running around playing everything else. So uh, I am there with all three of my kids, uh, and and I got a ten, a seven, and a, a three year old. And uh, the the movie is Cars Three, and my three year old is obsessed with Lightning McQueen. I think we've talked about it on this show before. Just absolutely obsessed with all the Cars franchise. So my boys are also the two oldest obsessed with football. And this is actually really kind of cool. I don't know if your kids are like this or not, but my boys are obsessed with YouTube. And so, but they're obsessed with college football and the NFL. And so they watch all these highlights of old games. And the way YouTube works is you watch one segment and then a new show starts. And so if you're watching highlights of a Super Bowl game, then a new Super Bowl highlight will come on and all the way through. 
And so they quiz me all the time about all these old games that have taken place. They're like, Dad, back in, uh, did Donovan McNabb really throw up in the Super Bowl? I'm like, it was 10 years before you were born. Like, how do you guys know? I mean, they know everything. It's amazing, and it's all because of YouTube. And so they're, they're obsessed. Like, anytime they can throw football, they want to throw football. And they play a game. I don't remember this game existing when I was a kid, or at least I don't remember it existing called this. Uh, they play. We played smear the. I don't think can I can I say smear the smear the Q. I don't think you can play smear the Q anymore. Can I say that? I don't think I can say. Yeah, I could probably say it. Queer in Latin studies, uh, you know, like queer in lesbian studies or whatever. We played smear the Q that way. So uh, I don't think they play smear the Q anymore. Um, but the uh, the we're throwing football. All right, we're we're throwing football, and they play a game called jackpot. Jackpot is an interesting game. It's basically like you throw the ball. And if somebody catches it, they become the quarterback and they throw it back to the group. Uh, we didn't play a game like that, but you know, there's like seven or eight kids, like eight kids, all different ages, and I'm playing all-time quarterback, just throwing the ball up in the air and seeing which kid can catch it. And so it's before the movie starts. Sun hasn't gone down yet. It's probably, I don't know, 6.30, 6.45, and I'm just the dad throwing football to two of my kids, fourth grader and a first grader, and then like six or seven other kids on top of that. And other people are sitting around, and the kids' ages are like six, seven, eight. My kid, my kid is the oldest at ten, but most of them are like six, seven, and eight years old um, that that I am throwing to. And so each of the kids, when they catch it or when they get the football, they try to throw it back to me. And if you have ever coached, like I also coach seven and eight year old baseball, I coach six and seven year old baseball. One of the things you learn is young boys, in particular, they have the arm strength to throw the ball. But they have no idea where it's going to go. I mean, they are just back there. They drop back to throw it, and it could go anywhere. So this six-year-old kid, I have no idea who his parent is. I have no idea, you know, like uh, who he is. This six-year-old kid winds up to throw the ball, and he uncorks it. And I can immediately tell, oh, this is a bad throw. This throw is nowhere near me, and it's like slow motion. It's a Nerf football, like one of the little Nerf soft footballs. I mean, it's full size. But you guys know what a Nerf football feels like. It's not like a Nerf football is like a hard, you know, like pigskin football. So this Nerf football is like spiraling, kind of twisting, not a spiral. It's like, you know, kind of helicoptering through the night sky, wobbly, all out of sorts. And about the time it reaches the pinnacle of this kid's throw, and it's too far for me to run and be able to get it. I mean, it's nowhere near me. About the time it reaches the pinnacle of this kid's throw, I recognize, uh uh-oh, this thing is angling right towards a mom. And it's angling right towards a mom who's sitting beside one of her daughters and she's like eating a soup. And I'm thinking to myself, uh-oh, it's going to hit her. This is going to be rough. And, you know, I was right. The angle comes down and it doinks her right on the head. I mean, hits her right smack dab on top of the head. And uh, she, you know, kind of reacts like because she didn't have her head on a swivel. Like, I, I feel like if it were a guy sitting there, not to stereotype, but guys, when there's a ball game going on around them, more likely to kind of have their head on a swivel and be like aware that a ball could come flying at any one moment. This woman's sitting there eating her soup, like kind of having no idea that she's there. Now, other thing you should know is there's this huge field of area where people can sit. When this woman came and sat and put her like blanket down and sat down with her daughter, I thought to myself, like, why are you sitting here, lady? Like, you're kind of sitting in the line of fire. There's all these spaces closer to the movie screen. You're here to watch the movie. You don't need to claim this area where nobody else is around you. 
you're kind of in the line of fire if you know anything about six or seven year old boys because they don't they don't know where the ball is going to go and they let it go on any given time. So she gets hit right in the head. All right, bounces off, and I I go over and I pick up the football and I'm like, I'm sorry about that. He's six, um, and uh, you know, like sorry about that. And she says to me, I swear to God, she's angry at me, and she says, I hope when your kids you're being she said you're being rude. I hope when your kids grow up, they're not as rude as you are. Now, I got to tell you, I got to tell you, it wasn't my kid who hit her, all right? Not even my kid. I'm just being the good dad here, playing football with these eight little kids, throwing the football. And so my wife told me that I should have just said, okay, whatever, and moved over a little bit. But when I get hit with rudeness out of nowhere, my inclination is to defend my position. And I said, well, actually, it's not that. It wasn't my son. But you sat down kind of right in the middle of this area where we're playing the game. Frankly, it's kind of on you. There are tons of parents around here. We're playing uh, eight kids here. We're entertaining here. Six, seven, eight, nine years old. One of them, it's bound to happen, is going to make a bad throw at some point. Kind of on you that you sat this close to where we were already playing Frankly, and I I didn't say it this long, but that's basically what I said. I said, frankly, this is on you. And she said, and she was sitting there with her daughter, and she said, I'm going to tell my husband when he comes back. And I was like, well, is your husband going to fight me because a six-year-old hits you with the football? I said, look, lady. I said, look, lady. When your husband gets back, I guarantee you what he's going to say. He's going to say, you shouldn't have put your blanket right beside the game of all the little kids playing football. And if you do get hit then, it's kind of on you. So we screwed over a little bit, and uh, and I'm throwing, you know, continue to play football. Husband comes back. Husband comes back, and he sits down beside her, and I'm not really paying attention to him at all. I'm not even looking over at them, and, but I can tell that she is furious, and she's just laying into her husband, and the husband doesn't do anything. Like, he tries to placate her because I think, like I said, he's a guy, and he's like, yeah, you sat down right beside a bunch of little kids playing football. So we continue to play. Uh, lady doesn't say anything else, but it gets dark. Movie Cars 3 starts. I go back. My wife saw the whole interaction, and she says, why did you Why did you talk back to that lady? I said, I didn't do anything. I was, I'm was i being the good dad here, throwing the football. I'm going to open up the phone lines here. My wife says, you shouldn't have gone back at her at all. You should have just kept your mouth shut and moved over and not said anything. And I said, but I apologized after she got hit in the head with the football. Was I in the right or was I in the wrong here? Open phone lines. I'll also ask the crew. 877-996-6369. Lady at the beach, basically. We're across the street from the beach. Getting ready for Cars 3. Everybody's laying out their blankets. I'm playing a game called Jackpot, which is a game that every little kid seems to be playing right now. Basically, You throw the ball up in the air. If somebody catches it, they get to turn around. A six-year-old who I don't know, anonymous six-year-old, just playing football, hits this lady in the head with a Nerf football. No way possible that it hurt at all. Might have been a little bit stunning because she didn't have her head on a swivel, but in no way like an actual injury to speak of in any kind of capacity. It's a six-year-old throwing the ball. It's not like it was Brett Favre dropping back to throw a laser. And she gets doinked a little bit. And loses her mind. And I think wants her husband to fight me over it. Because I told her that she sat down in the area of fire and it was kind of her fault. After, first of all, I apologized. 
on behalf of the six-year-old. Not like the six-year-old came up and apologized. I apologized on behalf of the six-year-old. She loses her mind with me, wants her husband to fight me. Who is in the right here? 877-996-6369. I'm Clay Travis. This is Outkick the Coverage on Fox Sports Radio. Live from the Geico Outkick Studios, breaking down the ethics here of my response when confronted with this woman who was so angry that she got hit in the head by a football by a six-year-old. Other thing I should add, my wife was really on me. She was like, hey, do you want to send the message to your kids that when an adult tells them that they did something wrong, they should argue with them? I said, no, 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 this is not, the kids should listen to an adult and then come, you know, tell the parents if the adult's telling them something ridiculous. But I'm another adult. Like, I think you stand up for yourself when your your crew, and my crew was a bunch of six, seven, and eight-year-olds, hasn't done anything wrong. Like, you talk back. Another thing I should say is, we eventually left the movie because my kids are, it's getting uh, late. And I swear to God, I told my wife, like, I wanted to take one of the footballs as we were leaving and throw it back down and hit the lady in the head again. I really did. It was the adult in me that kept me from doing that. Because I was like, she deserves to get hit in the head with the football again, except this time I want to do it intentionally. I didn't do it. I wanted to do it, but I didn't do it. Was I in the right or the wrong here? Jim in Louisville, what you got? Well, initially when you apologized to her, you was being very sincere. But when she had a comeback, she was wanting to ventilate. Right then and there, you should have knew you were going down a dead-end road. You should have went on ahead and let her ventilate and then follow it up with, well, ma'am, let me once again say I'm really, really sorry, and going forward, we'll be more more, more careful, okay? I'm, I'm really sorry. So you have a good evening. And just walked away and been the better person. Yeah, I'm not the better person, though, usually. Thanks for that. That's a good. That's a, what I should have done. That sounded like my wife. By the way, a lot of you also saying the husband's in a classic, one of you in particular, several of you, saying the husband's in a classic no-win scenario there. He knows his wife is wrong, but he knows she's going to be mad at him if he doesn't do anything, and what's he got to do? Like, he knows she shouldn't have sat where she did, and he knows she got hit in the head by a six-year-old throwing a Nerf football. Like, what do you what do you want me to do? Like, go beat the six-year-old's ass? Get in a fight with the guy who's playing jackpot with a bunch of kids? Like, you look ridiculous no matter what decision you make. Calvin in Virginia, what's up? Hey, uh, yeah, hey, uh, I think you was absolutely in the right. Um, you followed up. You apologized. You did that correctly. Also, you allowed her to know. Because, you know, someone was kind of – maybe she might have been kind of clueless about everything that was going on in the surroundings. So you did very well by letting her know, hey, look, you know, you said a little close to everything, so this is bound to happen. But also, I like the uh, I like the husband because the husband didn't turn it into an ugly situation. Because if the husband had responded solely on, on his wife's emotion, it, it would have been an ugly situation. That's so true. I think the husband, the husband helped move everything over. Yeah, the husband. Thank you. That's a good point. The husband, I think, picked the best of bad options because I guarantee his wife is still mad at him. Like you know, like for something because she she wants him to somehow rectify a situation that she created where nobody else did anything wrong. You really like if you find yourself feuding with a six year old you don't know, you're probably on the wrong side of an argument. Just in general, it's hard for a six year old to be capable of doing something so bad that a six year old you don't know is on the wrong side of an argument and you're on the right one. Steve in Houston, what's up, Steve? Hey Clay, what's going on, man? Living the dream. Uh, dude, that was a no win. 
that was a no-win situation. I mean, you know, and I think she was more embarrassed than anything else. And, you know, when her husband came back, it's like you said, you know, damned if you do, damned if you don't. So, but next time, man, you can't win an argument with a woman. Just just <laughs> point that you know, you know what's interesting is I felt bad for that husband because I'm like, if you got the kind of wife who gets hit by a six-year-old playing football that she complains to you about it, that poor bastard's life must be miserable. Like, I don't know what else is going on in her life. Maybe she's about to get divorced. Maybe she's just angry at the world. But you know you're in a rough spot if you're that husband. Joseph in California. What's up, Joseph? Exactly what you said there, man. You don't know what she's going through. So she was in the wrong, but you were in the wrong, too, for piling on. Like, when someone's going through some shit, you just got to be understanding. But Joseph, I don't know what's going on there with Joseph, man. That was one of the cre- – first of all, he cursed. Secondly, he sounded like one of the creepiest callers we've had in a long time. Joseph's got his severed head in his refrigerator. I feel pretty good about that. Will- Walking Willie. What's up, Walking? Hey, I'm all right, Mr. K. I'm doing cool. We haven't heard you for a while. How's how's New Orleans, and what should I have done? You ever get one of these crazy women after you? Oh, yes, indeed, boy, with the big boobs. But I just say, hey, you could have been making time to climb out that pole. Hold on, Willie. Willie, you got to get a better signal. We don't have a good signal. I want to hear Willie's opinion on this. We'll start off hour two with our guy walking Willie down in New Orleans. Find out how... how uh, an older man would solve the problem with a uh, younger woman. Walking Willie, an expert on that. Uh, we're rolling into uh, hour two. Uh, quickly, you guys, what, what's the play there? Is anybody else on the show with me? <laughs> well, I was no- talking to Willie. Oh, okay. I was going to say, normally uh, yes. Jason okay. goes first. No, I. you were in the right. She sat in the line of fire. The question I have for you, maybe you could answer it on the other side. What was your tone to her when you apologized? Was it sincere, or were you being D-head clay? I, 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 I will discuss that. I think I was utmost sincerity. Next on OutKick, the coverage, was I sincere on Fox Sports Radio? Live from the Geico Outkick Studios, where 15 minutes could save you 15% or more on car insurance. Visit geico.com for a free rate quote. We are talking about a lot, Michigan Villanova, as we get ready for the national title game tonight. I have erased the prior poll. The prior poll was who you got, Michigan or Villanova. I think people were picking who they thought was going to win which is why Michigan was at like 80, I'm sorry, why Villanova was at like 83% of the vote through 4,000 of you voting. So I erased that, came back with who are you rooting for tonight, Michigan or Villanova. Villanova still winning, but it's not as precipitous as it was before. 500 of you voted in the last couple of minutes. Villanova, 65-35 over Michigan. You can go uh, vote for that. We're also unpacking an ethical dilemma that I faced on Friday night. I'm playing football with a group of like eight kids, ages six to nine. Don't know, uh, I know two of them, my kids. I guess one of them is 10. My kids are 10. Most of the kids are like six to nine, kind of bunched around those ages. My other kid is seven. A six-year-old-ish kid that I don't know was throwing a Nerf football back to me. You know, I'm standing up on a little bit of a hill throwing a football down to a group of kids and the kids are all trying to catch it and then one of them will grab it uh, and throw it back to me. When the kid tries to throw it back to me, if you've ever thrown with a little kid, the six or seven-year-old kids, they got the arm power to a lot of times move the ball a decent distance, but they got no control. 
they got no control at all. It's just like a total. It's like it's like me teeing off inside a, on a golf course. The ball might go right down the middle and be perfect and gorgeous, or it might go 20 yards to the left or 20 yards to the right. It's like me in the tee box. Kid throws it immediately. It's a yanked throw. It's spiraling through the night air, not spiraling, just kind of like a helicopter, and it doinks right off of a woman's head. She's sitting there like eating some soup or something. I think it was soup. She had like a bowl of something. It wasn't ice cream. It was a little bit fat. Not, not the kind of guy to cast dispersions upon women I don't know, but this woman was a little bit fat. And it seems to me that women that are a little bit fat tend to be the angriest. Wasn't a really fat woman. That, those women tend to be jolly. This was like a little bit fat woman who's probably trying to lose 10 pounds and she's angry at life, at the world. She gets doinked right in the head. And I walk up and I'm like, I'm sorry. And I was not, the question that Danny G asked as we went to break, was I being a jerk in the way that I apologized? First of all, I resent the fact that I could ever be considered a jerk. Let's go there first. Secondly, no, it was a completely heartfelt uh, apology on behalf of the six-year-old kid. I don't know. It was a Nerf football. There's no way it could have hurt her. And her immediate response is, I'm not kidding about this, you guys are being really rude, I guess by playing football. I, I don't even know what she meant by that. And then she said, I hope your kids aren't as rude as you when they grow up. Seems like a really aggressive response from her. And then I said, essentially, you, well, I'm sorry, again, I apologize, but I said, you sat in an area where it was possible that you were going to get hit by our football game. There are kids playing everywhere, I should mention. And I should also mention that this is like the equivalent of being at Disney World. It's not as if this is an adult venue and there are a couple of kids running around, right? Like, you ever go to a nice restaurant and if a kid is being a jerk in that nice restaurant, even if you have kids, you're like not as cordial as you might have otherwise been. Like, oh, that kid, that happens. You know, kids can be like, you brought a kid to a place they didn't belong, and then the kid misbehaves. Most parents, I think, think that's on the parent. They don't blame the kid, but they're like, why would, if you bring a kid to a uh, late night orchestra performance, just throwing an example out there and then the kid behaves in a poor fashion, it's not really on the kid, it's on the parent who decided to bring them to that orchestra performance, right? You bring your kid to the symphony late at night, your three-year-old, your four-year-old, your five-year-old, and the kid misbehaves, it's not really on the kid, it's on the parent for having him there. That's an example of a place where you wouldn't anticipate a kid being, and so if a kid misbehaves, there a parent might not be as forgiving. We're talking about basically like Disney World on the beach. They're about to play Cars 3, a movie designed for kids. There are literally kids everywhere running around and huge mobs playing in the late evening as the sun is going down. And I think I'm being a pretty good dad, not only playing with my kids, entertaining six other people's kids by just standing there and throwing the football. Six-year-old throws it back, hits the lady in the head. And we nearly have a major scene because she says to me, I hope, uh, you know, she says, you're being rude. And then she says, you know, that you, I hope your kids aren't as rude as you uh, when they grow up. I come back and say, look, lady, you sat down right in the middle of our game, which is totally true. We were playing before she got there. And then she sat down in an area where if you know kids at all, you should know that you are potentially in a danger zone. 
Not that for me, I'm not going to hit her. I can control my throws. But little kids throwing anything, I coach Little League Baseball now. Little kid throw. you got to keep your head on a swivel. As every dad who's ever coached Little League Baseball knows exactly what I'm talking about. At any moment in time, that ball can go anywhere. I mean, head a legitimate swivel. It may not be coming that fast, but these kids, can they can spray it anywhere. Same thing happens when kids are peeing. Driving back from Florida yesterday, I had to stop, pull off the side of the road. My three-year-old's like, Dad, I got to go right now. Get him down, uh, get off the side of the road, get off the exit. There's nothing more stressful than having a kid that has to go to the bathroom and you're trying to get off before he pees or poops himself. Get off, pull off the side of the road. It's like a pit crew. You rush to the side, you get your pants down. You ever watch a three-year-old pee? You got no idea where the urine's going. Could go anywhere. Get you in the face, sideways, hit the door. Like there's, It's like a fire hose. Kid's got no idea, can't even hold his penis in his hand. It's like standing there like the Ghostbusters when they first turn, when they first turn on. Uh, the, the, the Ghostbuster, uh, the, the shooting thing, thing that captures the ghost. It's like what kids are like when they pee for the first time. They're just learning how to pee and hold their penis in their hand. They got no idea where they're going. Go in, it's like a murder scene. You go into the, you try to teach a kid to pee. A boy, I don't know about girls. I don't have any girls. Try to teach a uh, kid to pee. You go into the bathroom right after you're trying to teach them how to pee. It's like a damn murder scene. I mean, there's urine everywhere. It was blood. You'd be like, we're moving to a new house. I mean, there's urine like on the wall. Like, how do you even get all the way to the ceiling? How is that? How did you hit the wind? How did you go outside the window? I just lost control of it. That's what happens. That's what happens when they're throwing two. They just don't have any control. Woman gets hit. And then the conversation ends with her saying, I'm going to tell my husband. Husband's not there. So we move over. And then I said, because I, you know, kind of throwing the husband under the bus a little bit here, but it's true. I said, your husband is going to tell you the same thing that I told you, which is you sat in the wrong place. That's the truth. And so we move over. Husband comes back, lays down on the blanket there to watch Cars 3. Cars 3 hasn't started yet because we're entertaining the kids before the movie starts. And I can tell that the husband took my side. Now, I don't think the husband took my side because he saw me and he thought like, oh, that's such a physically imposing guy. Like if I was The Rock... The husband would have taken my side because he'd been like, I don't want to, I'm not talking to Dwayne Johnson. <laughs> what, what do you want me to do? You want me to go over to Dwayne Johnson there and tell him that he should have been doing a better job throwing football with all the kids? Men, I don't think he sized me up. Like, I'm six foot, you know, 185, 190 pounds. I don't think he looked at me and was like, oh, that guy is so physically imposing, I don't want to talk to him. I think he looked at me and he said, that guy's in the right and you're in the wrong. But every husband out there knows. Worst situation you can be in, situation where you know your wife's in the wrong and yet you feel like you're obligated to have to defend her anyway. It's like my wife doesn't drive that often, but when she does drive, she's an awful driver. And you ever been in the passenger seat as a man when your wife is driving or your girlfriend is driving and like she cuts somebody off so bad that you think you're going to die? And then somebody comes up beside you and they're really angry and they're like flicking you off or they're like, what the hell are you doing? And you're sitting there in the passenger seat and you're like, I'm on your side. Like, how do you, we need a hand signal where you could like just in the, instead of the going bird back, like, you know that you're in the wrong. Like we need a sign where 
like you can acknowledge that you know that your wife was in the wrong without her knowing it to kind of defray the because as I'm sitting there like in the line of fire like between you know like I'm in the passenger seat my wife doesn't drive that often because I frankly don't want a whole family to die like I drove the entire way to Florida and back my wife's like you want me to drive no no I'd prefer to survive the drive I would um and my wife and and also her mom's even worse one of these women who drives the same speed no matter where they are, my mother-in-law is the worst about this. Like, she'll drive 62 miles an hour on the interstate, speed limit 70, gets off in a 30, goes 62. Doesn't matter where she is, she's going to drive 62 miles an hour. So the guy pulls up beside you when your wife has cut him off, and she's totally in the wrong, and the guy's, like, angry beside you. How do you notify him that you know that he's right and that she's wrong? I don't know. We need a hand signal for that. Because the bird is kind of the universal, you know, screw you signal. But that accelerates the anger, and especially if you know that your wife is in the wrong. Well, I didn't see him back there. Well, he's back there. He's in a big car. You should have seen him. You should have not gotten in front of him with 14 inches between your front bumper and his re- your rear bumper. Shouldn't It was not a good decision by you. And that 14-inch gap is only there because he slammed on his brakes and went from 80 miles an hour to 40 miles an hour in the space of 10 feet. That's kind of on you. Well, the husband's there. He comes back, and he, I think, tries to defray the anger. I think I was completely in the right, but my wife then gets mad at me because she's like, well, what kind of message do you think you sent to our kids? What would you want them to do in that situation? I said, in that situation, they should listen to the adult and then come tell the adult. But when you're an adult and an adult comes at you with the wrong response, to me, I'm in the right here. Got calls on this, but I, J- Jason Martin, you haven't gotten to weigh in yet. You know me pretty well. What's the situation here? What should I have done? I think you pretty much got this one right. I think that maybe most of this, and I know one of the other callers kind of suggested this, I think she recognized after the fact that she had done something dumb and her pride didn't allow her to just admit to that. So instead she raged against you, which makes no real sense and maybe you could have been more cordial. I'm not sure I wasn't there. Maybe you were as cordial as you possibly could have been. But to blame a six-year-old in that situation, to not understand the potential treachery that you put yourself in by positioning yourself close to a bunch of kids throwing a football is kind of crazy. So her reaction to me was a little was certainly over the top. I think the husband did about the best thing he could do. And I think you're right. There probably does need to be a signal at times when the wife has done something completely you ridiculous. Know, and by the yes. way, it could be the other way too. When you know that your spouse is totally in the wrong, what signal could you give to acknowledge to other people without your spouse being able to see you? Because then you're the blame, right? Because then the shift, like I do feel a little bit bad for that guy if he tried to defray the situation and then she ends up blaming him because they're on vacation and like he's just trying to have a good time, and he's like, I go away for 10 minutes probably to go buy something, and they just have a daughter, which I think also factors in here, because if you had a son who's like six years old, I think most women would know the danger more so than if they have a daughter, because let's be honest, the boys are more likely to be running around throwing footballs and throwing balls in general, and the husband didn't make the decision where to sit. So I think the husband would have been like, hey, they're throwing football here, like maybe we should move over. But yeah. we got calls on this. Yeah, um, take Richard in Jacksonville. I agree with him 100%. This is the one thing I think you could have done that would have made this even better, and you definitely could have claimed that you dunked on this woman if you had done this. Richard in Jacksonville, what's up? What do you? By the way, what do you think about 
me wanting to throw a football at her as we left. Now, that was mature of me not doing that. If I'd been a teenager, I would have definitely thrown the football and hit her again. And that time done it Yeah, I'm glad that you didn't do that, Clay. Yeah. I'm glad that you were able to restrain yourself in that case. Wanted to do it so bad. The teenager in me wanted to throw the football and hit her again as we left. Uh, that would have been amazing, I think, just kind of as a walk-off shot, the mic drop, the football drop. Uh, Richard in Jacksonville, what's up? Hey, Clay, I, I don't think we can give you credit for not hitting her with a football afterward, but uh, there's two there's two baller moves you could have made, and you, but when I tell you them, you're going to realize that I've been this dad before, so I appreciate the spot you were in. Hey, all you had to do is let her know beforehand, that dad instinct that you had, like, hey, you're in the wrong spot. That way, when she gets it, it's it's totally on her, and she's even more pissed because you already told her. B, here's the real baller move. You had to tell that six-year-old right then and there who wasn't your kid, go over and apologize to that lady. That's the baller move because that way she's not going to get mad at a six-year-old, and you just had a teachable moment with somebody else's kid. Yeah, and that's, that's the two things. You should that's not a bad idea. The problem is I don't, I don't think the six-year-old did anything wrong. Like, and I don't want to, I, 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 my natural instinct is to take the blame for the kid there and go ahead and apologize on his behalf because the six-year-old had absolutely no ability to, con- like, th- that's what I'm talking about in general. Like, the six-year-old is doing his best. He's trying to throw the ball as far as he can back to me, but he has no real control over whether the pass is going to go. I don't know at what age, because Mike, I would say probably by like 11, 10, 11, you start to be able to have some control in a general sense. Like, you can throw it hard and also, like, that's when they let kids start to pitch in Little League, you know, like 9, 10 years old. You can start to have control a little bit. Right now, it's just a total zoo. I could have thrown the 6-year-old under the bus, but I don't know the 6-year-old. And, again, I don't think he did anything wrong. So, that's my. I didn't even have an inkling of requiring him to apologize. Because I think you apologize when you do something wrong generally speaking, I don't think the kid did anything wrong. It was just kind of an accident. Jose in Fremont. What's up, Jose? He just dropped. Let's go to Jesse in Kentucky. Jesse in Kentucky. What's up, Jesse? Hey, how's it going? Uh, living the dream. So, so I 100% agree with you, other than if it was me, as long as my kids are asleep or out of the way, she's going to get the ball. Whenever I leave. So you and, like the idea. Yeah. You're with me. There are a lot of guys out there nodding. Like, even if they wouldn't, like, I, I, they, they don't, they realize they shouldn't do it. But I think throwing the ball and hitting her again is the way. Then you just leave the Nerf on the, the Nerf football kind of like as a, as a, uh, on the battlefield. Like, you just doink her one more time. And then, like, uh, right in the middle of Cars 3, it's dark. She can barely see. She has no idea. Hit her one more time and then just walk off. I mean, I think that would be uh, – that would have been the perfect way to kind of end the night, in my opinion. Exactly. And I kind of think it's weird to eat soup on the beach. I agree. It is weird to eat soup on the beach. That's why I'm saying I think she was a little bit fat and she was trying not to be as fat. So, uh, I think she was just angry at the world. I, I, I think that the woman who was, like, 10 pounds overweight is the angriest woman on the planet. Because she's constantly thinking, I wish I weighed 10 pounds less. And so it's not like the fat woman who's like, you know, like 40, 50 pounds overweight. She's like, I'm fat. The woman who's like 10 pounds overweight and can never lose that 10 pounds is more furious than anybody on the planet. And so I think like this woman, you're eating soup on the beach, like you're already like kind of angry at the world. And so you get hit by a football and you're like, oh, this is just the latest. Walking Willie. Let's go down to New Orleans. Does Willie have a better signal now, Jason Martin, or is he still like totally like? I believe walking? it's better. All right, Willie, what's up, man? What should I have done? 
Oh, well, you know, first thing, like that gentleman just said, uh, what woman eats soup on the beach? <laughs> like this, and she probably was overweight. And, you know, you've done the right thing. Because I, the truth, Mr. Clay, you've got a lot of common sense. Even when you went up there to Washington and you didn't have a towel, you didn't argue with the lady. You got a car and went and seen what we're going to do about this phone, daddy. Yes. But that's cool. I, I understand, you know, and I just wanted to give a shout out to school up there, uh, Villanova, because about 50 years ago, my friend went there, and that was Howard Porter. He the one who signed the contract with the Virginia Squires, you know, and they had to get the MVP back. Awesome. But you just have a good time. Thanks for the call, and Willie. We- Hope all is going well down in New Orleans, walking Willie. Um, I, yeah, I got to tell you, I'm, I, I think I'm a peacemaker. I think I'm the kind of guy who makes the world a better place. And I do think there's a story there. We need a hand signal of some sort when, you're, when you're, you're, your wife or your husband is in the wrong, but you have to pretend they're, you're on their side, even though you know that they're in the wrong. And it's also, it would also be a hand signal that could work across everything. Like, you ever play on a sports team and somebody on your team takes a cheap shot on somebody and you feel obligated to stand up for them when, like, shoving starts? But really, you're like, hey, well, you started all this. Like, why did you – like, we need, like a, like, a universal signal where you can be like, yeah, like this. I'm on this team, but I understand that my guys are on the wrong side of this argument to just kind of squash everything. Think about how often that happens. How often are you playing basketball or you played football or you played baseball and, like, somebody on your team does something that you know is completely wrong, Right? That you are like, why did you do that? And it's usually always the same dude who's a knucklehead that's causing all the problems. But yet, because you have the same color uniform, you feel obligated to rush up and defend him. You know, honestly, we could do this in like all parts of life. Like it would certainly work, I think, for a lot of Republicans now with Donald Trump. Like if there was just a universal sign, they could be like, yeah, you know, he's on our team, but we don't agree with this at all. I feel like it would just make the political process go a lot smoother, too. Vice versa. There's a Democrat. He does something stupid. Like, you feel obligated to defend him, but you're like, oh, I'm going to go ahead and just toss out. Like, we need a universal thing to just squash disagreement. Like, where you acknowledge that your side is wrong, and you could even do it for races. Like, black people could have been like, instead of trying to defend O.J. Simpson because he's a black guy, even though you committed a double murder, you could have just thrown out the signal and been like, hey, OJ's a black dude, we're on the black team usually, but we're not going to defend this right now. And white people could do it too. Asian people, Hispanic people, like, yeah, we're kind of disassociating ourselves from him or her. I think that could be pretty universal. I don't know what the signal is, but I feel like there's got to be one. I'm Clay Travis. This is Outkick the Coverage. Uh, We'll talk more about the NFL draft. I got this stat I want to give you, which I thought was pretty incredible from the Wall Street Journal about where you're drafted in the first round. Uh, And we'll also continue to break down Villanova against Michigan. This outkick the coverage. Uh, We got more calls. We'll take more calls also. 877-996-6369. Jason Martin, are you still fielding these? We'll take calls more uh, when we come back on the flip side. I am Clay Travis. This is Outkick the Coverage on Fox Sports Radio. Car shopping can be confusing with terms like dealer price, list price, and invoice. True Car shows you what other people paid for the car you want so you can recognize a good price. When you're ready to buy a new or used car, visit True Car to enjoy a more confident car buying experience. Uh, Several different reactions rolling in. 
Uh, Ryan says, Clay, the lady obviously had anger issues looking for reasons to be a victim. If one can't chill at Seaside Park, then where can you? It's a park by the beach full of kids, balls, frisbees, etc. It comes with the territory. Also, they're playing Cars 3, even more kids than usual. That's right. Usually it is filled. Um, and then we get, regarding the lady got hit in front of your, these are emails, they got hit in the head by the Nerf ball, and you can always react at Clay Travis on Twitter, but also I have a public email address, claytravis at gmail.com, so people will email. Regarding lady got hit in the head by the Nerf ball, you were not rude. Uh, I would have asked the lady why she thought I was being rude after I just apologized. I can't believe she had you, Clay Travis, right in front of her. She didn't ask for your autograph or get her picture taken with you, because that's what I would have done. I, I don't know. Where, where do you think I rank on the uh, celebrity scale? I, maybe the husband had some clue who I was, because if you're a guy in the 20s or 30s down on the beach, there's obviously a lot of people who have read OutKick or listened to the show or whatnot. So it's possible. It would be amazing if the husband would call in and tell just, uh, just undercover his side of the story there, how he managed to defray his wife's anger. Uh, what do you think? Like, uh, I would say a decent percentage of people down there but I'm like, a, what what list celebrity would you make me, Jason Martin? D, F, E, like where would I rank on the celebrity scale at this point? Probably and obviously it depends partly yourself. where I am. Like it, depending on yeah. the state, like down there, it is a southern place. And I've been writing online about SEC football and college football in general. So and doing radio and everything else, like I'm much more noticeable and recognizable in Florida there at the beach than I would be at like in Hawaii for instance probably at the beach by far but most places I go now there are people who listen to the show or watch the show or read anywhere in the United States I mean that's not uncommon when I was overseas in Europe uh, at both Paris and London I mean people stopped me in the streets I'm Americans obviously to get pictures taken when I'm walking around with my family but what would you say like in a D-list celebrity at this point yeah, maybe see especially down. I, could, I would maybe give you see where you're at. The one thing I would say about him knowing who you are, it seems unlikely to me that a husband that knows who you are and would care in a positive sense about who you are would be married to someone that oblivious to you and to football. That would be, I don't know if that makes any sense, but it's like if if they know who you are, probably an SEC fan, probably a pretty big football fan good chance that at least the wife understands that culture and probably would not position herself to be eating soup near six-year-olds playing football. (laughs) Maybe, but my argument would be if you married that awful of a person, you may escape your life by listening to this show and or reading OutKick. Fair, that's fair. There are a lot of husbands out there right now driving into work this morning listening to us that are like, about half the time I hate my wife. I mean, I'm, I'm not kidding about this. Like, there are a lot of people like, the reason why I listen to OutKick is to escape my wife. Now, to be fair, there's also people listening to this show who are women that hate their husbands driving into work, too. And they're like, the reason why I start my day off listening to OutKick is because it helps me re- maintain some sanity in the midst of what an otherwise insane world. Uh, so I think it goes both ways, so to speak. Eight seven. Do we have calls? Actually, we got to go to Eddie Garcia first. Then we'll take a couple of your calls. Eddie, what's shaking? Tell us, uh, update us on the world of sports. Well, Clay, we'll start in the NBA. You got nine days left in the regular season, and the Spurs helped out their playoff hopes with a one hundred to eighty three win over the top team in the league, the Rockets, snapping Houston's eleven game winning streak. Warriors beat the Suns one seventeen to one hundred seven. Golden State now two and zero since Kevin Durant, Draymond Green, and Clay Thompson all returned to the lineup from injury. The Pelicans lost to the Thunder 109 to 104. 
four, while the Nuggets beat the Bucks 128-125 in overtime. So Denver's one game back of New Orleans for the final playoff spot in the West. Some baseball games of note. The Blue Jays beat the Yankees 7-4. Six of Toronto's seven runs were driven in by Justin Smoke, who had two home runs and six RBI. Astros over the Rangers 8-2. The defending World Series champs get a win out of Garrett Cole in his Astros debut. He went seven innings, allowed one run, two hits with 11 strikeouts. Sunday night baseball, Dodgers beat up on the Giants. Nine to nothing, and Clay, it is time for our Geico play of the day. Title Young calls the break, looking, looking, finds a Goombawale right wing, a hoist near the horn is good. Arike Goombawale. Westwood won on the call, and that was the game winning three pointer in the women's national title game. Arika Agumbawale hitting the game winning three pointer for the second straight game. Beat UConn in the semifinal, beat Mississippi State in the final as Notre Dame wins its second national championship. That is our Geico play of the day. Good stuff as always. Eddie Garcia there. Let's go to Jose in Fremont. What's up, Jose? What's cracking, Clay? Hey, I could see this turning into a Seinfeld episode where when you said the daughter was with that lady, your son either marries the daughter and either you or the lady trying to erase each other from that picture. Now, check this out. As far as the uh, universal sign, we can easily use the W's, the west side symbol with our hands. But you can put, you cross your arms and put your hand on your shoulder, kind of like throw that W, kind of like hide it incognito. And that could either be woman, like it's her fault, or I'm a man, upside down, the M. But like, dude, I'm with you. That's actually not bad. That's actually pretty good. Thanks for the call, Jose in Fremont. Your wife or your husband or the boyfriend or girlfriend you're with, you just flash a sign to let the person know, like, that would actually make a lot of sense. You know, I've said it before, your wife cuts somebody off in traffic. You ever been a man in the passenger seat? This angry person comes up beside you and you're like, I'm on your side, dude. I'm just hoping I survived this ride too. Yeah, she was in the wrong. Just toss up the W. I'm, I'm with you. Not a bad idea. Chad, what's up? Chad in Tennessee. Hey, Clay, listen, she, she knew where she was. She knew she was in the line of fire. She had no sense of, of getting rude and being mean to you. You're with six-year-olds, eight-year-olds, ten-year-olds. One throw looks like Montana. The next one looks like Barney Kozar. I mean, you can't be pissed at anybody. It's like sitting at SeaWorld and sitting in third or fourth row and then complaining because you got wet. I mean, you can't do it. But, I mean, everything was fine with what you did, but she had no reason and, and no right to bring your kids in. So that's probably when I would have lasered her with the football and said, don't bring my kids into this. Yeah, th- thanks for the call. The, 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 the lady saying, like, when, I, when she gets hit in the head by the six-year-old, and I said, look, I'm sorry, apologizing on behalf of the six-year-old, and then she tells me, well, you guys are being really rude, and I hope when your kids grow up that they're not as rude as you are. Big jump. Big jump by her. You know, like in the escalation, this is like, when Trump and Kim Jong-un are sitting down and they're talking, if one of them like says something, like it goes a little bit, goes from what I thought was pretty cordial. I'm sorry, you know, like unintentionally you got hit by the football by the kid to nuclear war almost overnight. West side! There you go, West side. I just need it. I need the husband to like lean over and give me the dub. Just fly the dub. You know what? It's my wife. I'm on your team. I'm on your side. Just throw the dub up. It's not a bad move. And now the key is you have to, everybody has to know it because otherwise people are going to be like, oh, he's a member of a gang. And then we end up in gang warfare. Um, I got a, uh, let's go to uh, Dan in St. Louis. What's up, Dan? 
Clay, I got a question for you. Yeah. Did any one of y'all laugh when the six-year-old hit the lady in the head with the football? It's a great question, Dan. It is a great question. So I got to tell you, you, you know that moment when, like I, when I was describing this, there's a moment in time where the ball like hits its crescendo and you kind of in your mind think, oh, that where it's going to go. You know, like if you've played any kind of sport long enough, there's a moment in time where like, and it could happen, maybe it's going to happen tonight in the national title game where there's the shot that's going up and it, like it hits its apex and it's starting to weigh down. You're like, oh, that's going to be good. Like you can kind of feel that it has like the, 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 right, the right trajectory. And by the way, one of my favorite moments while I'm mentioning this, one of my favorite moments from Loyola of uh, Loyola Chicago against uh, Michigan was Loyola was down, I think, like three, and they hit, uh, I don't know who it was, they hit a white guy in the corner for a wide open three, uh, literally like right in the corner. And he pulled the, you ever pull like this, it's like he's pulling the string on that three-point shot, and he posed. You ever, <laughs> I think there's nothing funnier in basketball than when somebody lets it go, and they pose, and then it's an air ball. And like this dude, and you guys, if you were watching the game, know what I'm talking about. This dude got hit in the corner. It's a crucible moment in the game. There's like five minutes left, and he he need, they de- Loyola was getting run. They desperately needed a bucket to go for them, especially a three. And I swear to God, the dude just posed, and he missed it. I think he went over the top of the rim. Like, he didn't just airball it, leave it short. He went long. Like, he shot it over the top of the rim, but he held the pose. If you hold the pose and you airball, you should get points taken off your score. Because then, you're not only missing, but, like, he held the pose, and I felt like the guys who were trying to rebound saw him holding the pose, and when the ball went flying over the, the, the rim and wasn't even close, it got kicked out of bounds. Neither guy was able to rebound it. I think they saw him holding the pose, and they were like, oh, this is going to, you know, at absolute worst, it's going to rim out. If you hold the pose and you airball, not a good look. So, uh, about halfway through, it hits the apex, and I'm thinking to myself, uh-oh, it's going to hit this lady's head. I did not laugh. I'm not sure what the kids did because I was thinking because she was eating the soup. I was actually thinking, I hope it doesn't hit her soup. So I actually thought when it hit her head, oh, this is not that bad of a result. You know, ideally it wouldn't have hit her at all. But I thought because I was my concern was if it hits the soup, the soup is going to go everywhere. It's going to go all over her. And then we've got a real calamity here. Because the only thing worse that I'm not sure there's anything worse than a woman getting dressed up and then getting spilled on and her not being the cause of it. She might have murdered that kid. I, I'm not sure, but she might have murdered that kid, especially because she's in a sundress. Like, this is her Friday night. I'm on vacation at the beach outfit. But first of all, don't eat soup with that outfit, okay? Let's be honest. But secondly, like, I actually, it's a great question from Dan in St. Louis. I actually thought, to myself when it hit her head. I didn't laugh, but I was like, okay, it's not so bad. Because I, I was concerned, you know, like, especially if you're in mid-soup, like soup to the mouth, she only has the soup then that she's holding with one hand. I was afraid that the ball was going to hit her right in the soup and the soup was going to go everywhere. So when it hit her head, I was actually like, okay, that's not as bad. Did you but I don't think anybody laughed. Her? Did you try to warn her, like, at any point, like, before the ball came through? Like, hey, hey, look out. Like it's coming. Did you give her a four like you would on a golf no, course? No, or, or like did you a just kind of wait for this to happen. Heads up. No, I mean I didn't. I didn't honestly. I froze a little bit. I guess on the heads up, but also I felt like, to, in my defense, this was not the kind of woman who was going to react to a heads up warning. Right. I mean, she had soup in her hand, 
Like, I feel like a guy, when you say, heads up, like a guy who has played sports his whole life is like, oh, you know, there may be something coming in my vicinity. But if you're a woman and you're just like, she was not clearly that aware of sports in general if she put her blanket down where she did. Like, I didn't feel like it was going to help. So, no, I didn't give her a warning. But I didn't laugh. And I don't think the boys laughed. I mean, I, I was more concerned with my interaction with her. I didn't see their their reaction. It is funny to hit somebody in the head with a Nerf football. Like, I would have probably laughed if I was anybody other than the six-year-old who was probably mortified. Would this have won $10,000 on America's Funniest Home Videos back in the day? Was it this funny? Like, quietly. Like, obviously, you didn't laugh out loud like you've suggested. But I think... Would this yeah, have won some money? It's always funny when the moment meets the person. You know, like, I'll give you an example. If you, like, I remember a, a while back I was playing golf and I missed hit a shot. And, you know, I was like, damn it. And I think I can say that on the air. But if I can't, we had to drop me for saying that. It was just a damn. Um, and so I was like, man. And so a lot of times if you play golf, you drop another ball and you immediately hit it. And I was playing with a buddy and, like, I dropped another ball and I hit it. And then, like, he was just kind of walking down the fairway, and it was a pitch, pitching wedge. So it wasn't like I drilled it way up in the air, but it hit him, like the calf, and you could see it coming for a long way, and then it just bopped him. And he was like, I didn't know you were going to hit a second ball. That was pretty funny to me because you could see, like, him walking as it happened. Uh, final segment next. By the way, you got some Animal Thunderdome for you, I think. This is Outkick the Coverage on Fox Sports Radio. Everybody's got a to-do list. Drop off the dry cleaning, pick up some milk. Here's an idea. Let's add, save hundreds of dollars on car insurance. And the good thing is you don't have to drop off or pick up anything. All you have to do is go to geico.com. And in 15 minutes, you could be saving 15% or more on car insurance. Extra money in your pocket. It's just, it might just maybe the most rewarding to-do you do today. All right, is the Animal Thunderdome still there or did uh, we lose it again? Can we play the music, boys? Ladies and gentlemen. I'm just glad I was there. Boys and girls. I thought he thought I was like this ginormous piece of chicken. Dying times here. I had a bullet constrictor stuck to my face. Sam, you have a what? This is Animal Thunderdome. The hunt is on for a giant man-eating crocodile, which could be the largest ever recording recorded. Villagers are searching for the beast, which is claimed to be nearly 30 feet long, has attacked fishermen, farmers, and livestock. The reptile has reportedly been terrorizing the Iguana del Sur, Iguanasan del Sur region of the Philippines. A woman grabbed by the crocodile, no one knows what happened to her. One man saw the beast up close, swears it was 29 and a half feet in length, according to a video published by Discovery. Until now, this is pretty crazy if this were true. The largest crocodile ever recorded was 20 feet long. And these Filipinos are out searching for it. Uh, In 2011, Philippines villagers caught a 20-foot saltwater crocodile after a three-week hunt. They said the record-breaking crocodile had killed at least once. Uh, That crocodile weighed 1,075 kilograms. Earlier this month, uh, this is uh, uh, earlier this month in the Philippines, there was a video. Do you guys remember this video where they cut open a killer crocodile and found a body inside? Um, and uh, this is uh, this is pretty crazy. So, 30-foot crocodile. I'm not going to the Philippines anytime soon. What have you boys got? 
I've got another story, this time about an alligator, but now that you've talked about a 30-footer, this one's not quite as impressive. In Sarasota County, the sheriff's office down there in Florida posted pictures and videos on its Facebook page of an 11-foot-long alligator that was seen swimming in a family pool, just gliding, shimmying around in the water. A trapper arrived, roped around its upper torso, yanked it through an aluminum screen door, took it into a grassy portion of a yard, and then took it away. They did not euthanize it. Which apparently, if you're over four feet long and you're an alligator in a populated area, you are deemed a nuisance by wildlife officials. And usually they euthanize anything over four feet long instead of relocating it. Trying to return it can sometimes be trouble. But apparently, at least there were some jokes. I don't know if the family actually bought this. But when they first saw it, it was just kind of floating there and they thought it might be some kind of a toy. Yeah. It was not a toy. It was an 11-foot alligator in the family pool. Yeah, That's not good. no good at all. It's time to move. Danny G, you're taking us to Hawaii. Yes. Uh, K-U-K-I-O Beach. I believe it's Kukio Beach. A 25-year-old paddleboarder was hospitalized in critical condition, but he's still alive from this report. Multiple wounds after getting bitten by a shark Saturday morning near one of Hawaii's exclusive white sand resorts. The attack happened around 9.30 a.m. local time Saturday at Kukio, which is considered to be a crown jewel along Hawaii's gorgeous Kona Coast Uh, They say that he was flown to North Hawaii Community Hospital, multiple injuries to a hand and a leg. The hospital, that's all they're releasing for now. They said he's undergone surgery. Uh, And this is scary, too, because it says the shark knocked him off the paddleboard. Yes, yeah. That's crazy. The beach had no lifeguards on duty, but a private safety team was there, KHON-TV reported. And that's right. The shark knocked him off his balance. That has to be terrifying to be on your paddleboard so you can look down. I imagine the water is probably pretty clear there. You can see the shark coming. That That's terrifying in and of itself. But then he bumps you, which is a pretty clear indication that he ain't very happy, knocks you into the water and then attacks you. That's Animal Thunderdome to the nth degree. I don't even know what you do in that scenario because it's hard to stay up on a paddleboard in general. You have to be pretty – this reminds me – do you remember that video that we had? I think that was from outside of L.A. where the guy – like they got on a speaker to tell the guy on the paddleboard that he was surrounded by great white sharks. Remember that video? Yeah, I remember that. Oh, my God. Like I would lose my mind if I were on a paddleboard. First of all, I fall in immediately on a paddleboard regardless. But if you told me like from a helicopter you're surrounded by great white sharks, you need to get to the beach right now on a paddleboard, I would immediately fall in. I might even knock myself out and just play for death. Final hour next on Outkick. Live from the Geico Outkick Studios, where 15 minutes could save you 15% or more on car insurance. Visit geico.com for a free rate quote. It is Monday. It is the first Monday in April, which means it is time for the NCAA Basketball Tournament Championship. We've got Villanova going up against Michigan. I'm not the kind of guy who likes to brag. As I said and have said many times on this show before, not the kind of guy who tries to draw attention to himself, not the kind of guy to jump and wave my arms and and just make sure that everybody sees me. But I did have Villanova and Michigan as this title game on the day the bracket was released as I broke down this uh, situation based on the way Michigan was playing, based on the fact that I did not have a lot of faith in the top seeds, Virginia I didn't believe in based on the speed at which they played the game. I thought they would have a lot of close games. I didn't think they'd get blown out by a 16 seed. Xavier I thought was a weak number one. 
So I saw Michigan as a likely uh, arrival. Now, my final four fell apart a little bit. I had Michigan playing Tennessee on one side of the bracket, and I had Michigan State playing Villanova on the other side of the bracket. So I wasn't perfect, obviously, but I had Villanova and Michigan both advancing to the title. And frankly, if Tennessee had beaten Loyola, if that shot that Loyola hit didn't bounce off the backboard and off the sides of the rims and everything else and end up going in, I think there's a decent chance that Tennessee would have been playing in Michigan like I predict, playing its Michigan like I predicted, because the way that bracket broke down, Tennessee would have been favored over Nevada. They would have been favored over Kansas State if they had just beaten Michigan. I mean, sorry, if they had just beaten Loyola, I think there's a good chance they could have advanced to play Michigan. Uh, but instead, Michigan beats Loyola. Sister Jean finally loses. Uh, Mo Wagner, got to say Wagner instead of Wagner. Uh, Mo Wagner, uh, because he's German. Was and by the way, what's the rule on that? Shouldn't we pronounce his name as we would pronounce it in America, as opposed to how it would be pronounced in Germany? What's the rule on that? What do you guys think? Mm. My thing is, if your name is Wagner, W A G N E R, we shouldn't adjust the way that we pronounce your name in America. I understand that in Germany it's pronounced Wagner, like it's a V, but shouldn't we pronounce like we don't pronounce like. If if you are, for instance, there are lots of different towns named after famous European capitals, right? If you are in per- Paris, you would call it Paris, right? Like, oh, gay Paris. But if you're in the States, you would say, oh, it's Paris. If you are in, if you're going to visit Versailles, right? Like Versailles in Paris, uh, the, 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 uh, the mansion, Louis the 16th or 14th or whatever the hell it was, his big uh, palace outside of Paris. There's a town outside of Lexington, Kentucky called Versailles. They pronounce it Versailles even though the town were named after Versailles. Shouldn't we call this guy Wagner? See, it's it's tough. I think names are different, and I think this is the thing. You don't go Wagner. Like, you don't try to sound German. Like, I've always had a problem with... When you start talking about Spanish things, when you talk to start talking about Mexican food, you slip into an accent. I don't. But when you're talking about Irish, you don't. No, I don't either. I've always thought it was almost like, isn't it almost racist to actually like try to fake a Spanish accent when you're not Spanish, when you don't do it for like, any where other would culture? You, where would you change a name? Like if you were saying like quesadilla, would you say it? Like I just say it's it's a quesadilla, a burrito. Yeah, me too. But there are people that like roll their R's oh, yeah. and like really try to no, do all you're that. True. They're, I, they're, I can't do it, but I think it's crazy. I think it's ridiculous. I, to I do understand that. if you are a Spanish speaker, like and you're yes. talking normally, and you know, like you're you're, and by normally, I mean you're speaking English, and then you get to a word that is Spanish, and you sound it like like and everybody has heard somebody do this and I can't even think of a great example you guys are in LA you have to hear this all the time where you're talking to somebody and you're talking normal English and then they hit a Spanish word and they just go straight Spanish like speaking a language you know what I'm talking about yeah you guys hear this all the time right and one of the jokes is that our newscasters they'll be just talking you know nice and normal and then they'll say I'm Eddie Gutierrez and they just break <laughs> yeah. into you know <laughs> they just suddenly break yeah. into the accent what are you guys with me here? Like, to me, I shouldn't have to say Wagner like I'm pronouncing the W as a V because I'm in America. This dude's name is Mo Wagner, all right? Like, that's the most American-sounding name imaginable. Why do? Why should, like, everybody on the game tonight, watch it. They're going to be like, Wagner with the basket. Like, shouldn't they just call him Wagner? Is it offensive to him to just call him Wagner? See, I think so. I think with a name, you have to try. 
I'm just saying you don't use a German accent or you don't try to fake anything like that. But, but you the do try to say Wagner that... because his name is Wagner. I disagree. I think we pronounce his name like we would pronounce his name in America. If he had, if his people had immigrated through Ellis Island, he would be Wagner here. There are tons of people with the last name, probably listening to us right now, who have the last name Wagner. That's how we pronounce it here. Like it's not an insult. Just like we don't say uh, Perry. Like if if I was if I had come on this show and I'd said like, yeah, my family, we're going to go to London and Paris this summer. All of you would have justifiably ridiculed me. You'd been like, you mean Paris? Yeah, we're going to go to Paris. Because we pronounce that city, which is, I think, a bigger deal than a, a person's name as we pronounce it in this country. Right? So my argument is, just call him Wagner. He's going to be the best player that. on the I'm court. I'm going to continue to call him Wagner. Now, I, what about you guys in L.A.? Uh, I mean... I'm a stickler for for names, so I'll probably call him Wagner. What about you? Uh, I'm, I think I'm with you on this one because the back of his jersey says Wagner, and I've heard I've heard some commentators say it like that, like how you want to say it. And obviously, the sticklers are going to say it, you know, Wagner. But um, I don't think I don't think it matters all that much. I don't think it matters that much. But when I watch it, I'm like. I mean, the only thing it makes me realize is that he's not an American. So it's like you're isolating him in some way. Because there's otherwise, when you're watching Mo Wagner, I'm going to call him Wagner. When you're watching Mo Wagner play, you would never know he wasn't an American, right? I mean, he could just as easily be American unless they pronounce his name Wagner. And he's going to be either Jalen Brunson or him. I, I think that he has the potential. What year is 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 Wagner, my boy here? Is he a, is he a sophomore? Yeah, I think he's a sophomore. Let me double check. Um I don't know if he's going to go. Is he projected to go pro after this run, regardless of what happens to Michigan now? Because there aren't that many seven-footers. I mean, the, the shot that to me stands Junior. out about his – hes a oh, he's definitely going to go pro then. The, the, the shot that stands out to me from him uh, that I thought was like a wow kind of shot was the step-back three he hit to make it 47-47. Uh, Michigan at that point is, I believe, down 47-44. They've been kind of flirting around with getting back even. And once they got even, they just put the pedal to the metal and and kind of left Loyola in the dust there. Their defense stepped up. They got a bunch of turnovers down the stretch. But it's 47-44. He's dribbling in the corner, and he just steps back to the corner. And he's pretty well defended, but he's seven feet tall and just drains a three right in the defender's face. And I thought from that moment, now he made a good pass. He got an and one inside. I mean, he was a beast of a player. Um, he, he basically dunked all over Sister Jean, 24 and 15. By far the best player on the court for Michigan in terms of what he was able to accomplish. And I thought as I watched him play, and I've watched Michigan play pretty much every game so far this tournament, I, he has a game that I think is going to be better in the NBA than it is in college, if that makes any sense. Uh, because I think he's going to be able to demonstrate a really well-rounded game that translates better at the pro level than it does at college. Now, I'm not saying he's going to be otherworldly. I'm not saying he's going to be an amazing player or anything like that. I certainly think he's not off-the-charts level athletic. But I think from a shooting perspective, he has the potential. I know he doesn't like to compare himself to Dirk Nowitzki. I saw where he said he wanted to compare himself to Kevin Durant. Uh, sorry, Kevin. was it Kevin Durant or Kevin Garnett? I think it was Kevin Garnett he said he wanted to compare his game to. Uh, but I think he actually fits more in the Dirk Nowitzki mold because I don't think he's a great athlete. 
But I think if he works like Dirk did to develop all these different shots and put some muscle on his frame and kind of gets bigger, he's got a shot that's going to be really hard to block. And so I'm going to watch him play um, and uh, and enjoy it. And right now he's a second-round pick at best. Defense and rebounding aren't – but the thing about the NBA is if you can shoot, they'll find a place for you. And I feel like when I watch him shoot as a seven-footer, he's got such a great touch – that I think he's going to eventually be able to uh, to, to find a way to uh, to make a living in the NBA. Could be wrong on that. We'll see where he ends up getting drafted. Um, but tonight's game going on, obviously, between Villanova and Michigan. My wife is a Michigan fan, still sleeping. I was going to have her call in and break down this game. Big Michigan fan that she is, but she's not responding to my text messages. Um, but we've got uh, Michigan and Villanova tonight. I asked, who are you guys rooting for? Because I was a little bit curious. Not who do you think is going to win, because I think Nova is going to win. Let's go around the horn. Who do you guys think is going to win this game? Uh, Or maybe just pick against the spread. I've got Nova minus 6.5. I think Nova has won every game by 12 or more. The way they are shooting outside, the three-point basket, unless Michigan comes out and really shoots well. And look, it could happen, but I don't think it will. I don't think Michigan has the horses to keep up offensively with Villanova. So I'm going Nova minus six and a half. That's my pick tonight. What about you guys? I agree. If I gambled, I would definitely take Villanova in this. I think they win it by double figures as well. The one thing that I think could happen, because Michigan can be explosive offensively and Beeline is just a fantastic offensive coach, which is what Doug Gottlieb told us on Friday when he was on the show, is that we could get one into one of these track meets where we're seeing like a high 80s, low 90s game, even for the losing team, that's what I'd like to see. At this point, let's just let this thing go up and down because it's clear you've got to outscore Villanova to beat them. Nobody's even come close to doing that, and I don't think Michigan can do it either, but that's that would be the one way I think Michigan could win this thing. They're not going to win it defensively. Neither is Villanova. I just don't see Villanova's three-point shooting all of a sudden falling apart after that record-setting, unbelievable performance we saw on Saturday night. Yeah, I just think they're going to take enough three-pointers. They may not shoot like they did against Kansas, but I think they're going to shoot at a high level. And frankly, when you're shooting in a dome for the first time, a lot of times your scoring is down. The way they shot in that dome was a credit to how good of a shooters they are. I think they're going to play with less pressure in the title game, frankly. Um, What about you guys in L.A.? Uh, Who are you rooting for? What do you think is going to happen, Danny G? I'm taking Nova. I, I think Brunson is going to be the player of the game. And they're just head and shoulder above everybody right now in college basketball. You could tell watching the tournament that they're just playing at another level. Five games, they've won them all by 12 or more. What about you, Justin Cooper? Uh, I am rooting for Michigan, but I think that Villanova's going to win. Uh, right now, the the votes, we're approaching 10,000 of you voting. I was just curious, who are you rooting for tonight, Michigan or Villanova? I'm actually rooting for Michigan because my wife is a Michigan grad. And I would like to see Michigan win. But 68% of you are rooting for Villanova. 32% for Michigan. Now, I'm rooting for Michigan, but I'm betting on Nova to cover. uh, Minus 6.5. Like I said, this is the game that I predicted. I do think this is an intriguing subplot. I haven't heard a lot of people talk about this, but we talked about it some in hour one. And the Big Ten, Jason Martin, you put together this stretch of runs. The Big Ten is 0-6 in title games since Michigan State beat Florida back in 2000. And here's that list. Indiana with Mike Davis, I think they were like, they weren't that high of a seed when they made that run uh, with Mike Correct. Davis to the title game. They lost to Maryland uh, in the uh, the title game that year. What were they, like an eight seed? Something like that, weren't they? Yeah, I think it was an eight, and Maryland was big time. That was the year that uh, Juan Dixon hit the yep. like walk-away shot 
to beat UNC Wilmington in the first round, and then they ended up actually going ahead and winning the entire championship. Sorry, it was Drew Nichols that actually hit that shot. But, yeah, that Maryland team was awesome. Mike Davis's team had no business getting as far as they did, so that was really pretty impressive. Yeah, that was the uh, the Gary Williams, um, uh, his kind of apex team. I was in Washington, D.C. at that time, so I watched a lot of that Maryland Terrapins team play. Uh, but So they won that game back in 2002. Indiana lost. In 05, Illinois under uh, Bruce Weber lost. In 2007, Ohio State, that was the Thad Mata uh, year, lost to Florida. That was the Mike Conley and Greg Oden team, right, when they were both freshmen on that team and both went pro after that year. That was 07, Ohio State losing to Florida. Uh, in 09, Michigan State lost to uh, to UNC. Badly. Uh, Badly. It got blown got out. Got blown out. Uh, in 13, Michigan lost to Louisville. Now there may not be a champion in that game. Who knows exactly what that's going to end up looking like. And in 2015, Wisconsin coming off the win over undefeated Kentucky lost to Duke and Grayson Allen uh, kind of became a, a national hero or villain in the college football landscape in that game, even though he would play for three more years. 0-6 since Michigan State. And to the Big Ten's credit, that's, I believe, six different teams that have advanced. Indiana, Illinois, Ohio State, Michigan State, Mm -hmm. Michigan, and Wisconsin in that 0-6. It's not like it's just one team or one coach that's losing those games. Now, obviously, Michigan advancing to the title game for the second time. Uh, since they lost in 13. So we'll see what ends up transpiring. But this ties in with the Big Ten futility in general because the Big Ten and Michigan, I would say, Michigan is a program that I feel like people pretend is better than it actually is. Michigan has won a half of a title in 1997. look, Look this up, Jason Martin. When's the last time that Michigan won a consensus title in football prior to 1997? There haven't been very many of these. I think it's all the way back in like the 50s. Um, And then for Michigan men's basketball, they won the title in 89. But I feel like Michigan fans carry themselves as if they are this perennial championship program. And they don't actually win that much. I mean, one and a half titles, I think, in the last two generations is not really much to brag about in the grand scheme of things. And everybody's like, oh, Jim Harbaugh is going to be dominant. What do you got for me? All right, so 97, you mentioned the split there with Michigan and Nebraska, both recognized as national champions. The time before that, 1948, Michigan recognized as national champions. That's crazy, right, for a program like Michigan to argue that they are such a championship-caliber program. And then what have they done in basketball? I know they won in 89. When did they previously win? Have they won any other NCAA basketball titles? I mean, so 19, they won in 97 with Charles Woodson, a half of a title. Nebraska was actually the better team that year if you talk to Las Vegas people, if they had played an additional game. But they won a half, they won a title, and Nebraska won a title. So we split it in 97. Prior to that, they last won a title in 48. And they've only their, their won basketball one, was just eighty nine. Yeah. They've only won one basketball title. So if you go all the way back to nineteen forty eight, all the way back to nineteen forty eight, Michigan in the sports that really matter, I mean I think it's fair to say in college athletics, men's basketball and football are the two sports that really matter. That's where like we define a success or a failure for athletics based on how you do in men's basketball and football. Michigan has won one and a half titles since nineteen forty eight. I think that surprises a lot of people out there listening right now because I think Michigan's brand and all the attention that they get in the media, the big house, 
now Jim Harbaugh, but all the attention that Michigan gets since 1948, basically since World War II, they've won one and a half titles. That's, I mean, that's pretty amazing. I think that would surprise a lot of people. Uh, We will go and continue to break down. I've been teasing this for a long time. I want to hit you with this stat, which I saw about where you need to draft a franchise quarterback. This is from the Wall Street Journal. Um, As we get closer and closer to the NFL draft, which will be taking place at the end of this month, does it matter where you draft? Not even in the draft. Does it matter where you draft a quarterback in the first round in terms of whether or not they're going to succeed. I think these da- these, this, these data points are going to blow you away as much as they blew me away when it comes to NFL draft success. I'll hit you with it next. This is Outkick the Coverage on Fox Sports Radio. Car shopping can be confusing with terms like dealer price, list price, and invoice. True Car shows you what other people paid for the car you want so you can recognize a good price when you're ready to buy a new or used car. Visit TrueCar to enjoy a more confident car buying experience. I think we're blowing people's minds with the Michigan has won one and a half titles since 1948 stat. Because I think the way Michigan basketball gets covered, you would think, is that 70 years, 48 to 18? You would think in the past 70 years that Michigan football and basketball would have won more than one and a half titles. I mean, that's pretty crazy to think about. I mean, if you were born in 1948 and you grew up a huge fan of Michigan athletics, you have seen one and a half titles in your lifetime. I think that blows people's minds. Because especially in football, when you had so many different teams winning titles, and I don't even think, like in the grand scheme of things, how often has Michigan even been legitimately in the national title picture? in the last 25 years. Not that often. Like, I don't remember that often. You know, they had the one versus two game back in 06 for football. But it's not that often that they've really been in the picture. Now, the Fab Five years, yes, with all the crew that they brought in then, there was a lot of success in Michigan. Athletics was obviously at its probably apex in terms of its cultural relevance. I think Weber and Jalen Rose and Jawan Howard and that crew the Fab Five made Michigan and the the way they wore their shorts and the maize and blue and everything else. Like, they took Michigan to a different caliber. And obviously, they have a huge and proud fan base nationwide. A ton of people who are listening to this show right now, including my wife, either went to Michigan or are, are huge Michigan fans in general. But one and a half titles since 48? I'm surprised the Big Ten losing six straight title games has not gotten more attention. That's pretty tough. Six different teams. Now, if Michigan loses, as they're favored to do tonight against Villanova, that would be seven straight losses in the title game since Michigan State got there and beat Florida and won. That's a pretty big story, I think, as well. They bring in Eddie Garcia, find out what's shaking in the world of sports. And then on the flip side, I got this stat for you that I wanted to hit you with that I've been teasing for a while. The best spot to land a franchise quarterback. This is from the Washington Journal a little while ago. Uh, the, sorry, the Washington Journal, the Wall Street Journal. 
a little while ago, and I wanted to hit you guys with it because I find it found it so surprising. But first, Eddie Garcia, what's shaking the world of sports? Well, Clay, we've got nine days left in the NBA regular season, and checking games a note from Sunday, the Spurs helped their playoff chances with a 100 to 83 win over the top team in the league, the Rockets. Houston's 11 game winning streak comes to an end. Warriors looking to get on track for the playoffs, beat the Suns 117 to 107. Golden State's now 2 0 since Kevin Durant, Draymond Green, and Clay Thompson all came back to the lineup from injury. The Pelicans lost to the Thunder 109 to 104, while the Nuggets in overtime beat the Bucks 128-125. So Denver is one game back of New Orleans for the final playoff spot in the West. In some baseball games of note, the Blue Jays beat the Yankees 7-4. Justin Smoke, two home runs, six RBI in that win for Toronto. Astros over the Rangers 8-2 in his debut for the World Series champs. Garrett Cole gets the win. Seven innings pitch, one run, two hits, 11 strikeouts. Sunday night baseball saw the Dodgers roll over the Giants 9-0. This report brought to you by True Car. Online car shopping can be confusing, but not anymore with True Price from True Car. Now you know you can know the exact price you'll pay for your next car, so visit True Car and enjoy a more confident car buying experience. And Clay, from the NFL, the future of Patriots standout tight end Rob Gronkowski remains in question. He's hinted he could retire due to the physical pounding his body has taken, but sources are saying that Gronk is pretty certain he's going to come back for this year, although there's reportedly now friction between Gronk and head coach Bill Belichick. Apparently the head coach of the Patriots not happy that Gronk not all in right now and uh, not letting him know for certain if he's coming back. Yeah, I, I just don't buy this idea that Belichick is going to trade Gronk. I know that that's been talked about. I, I just, I mean, Gronk changes things for the Patriots offense. I think the Patriots offense without Gronkowski, even as good as Tom Brady is, is very average. If they're going to trade Gronk, I can see it happening, but I think it's a sign that Belichick's gone. I think if Belichick sends that message, obviously he sent a message of some sort to Malcolm Butler. Nobody seems to understand what happened there. But that whole thing is uh, is very strange. We're coming to you live from the Geico Outkick Studios where it's easy to save 15% or more on car insurance with Geico. Go to geico.com or call 800-947-AUTO. The only hard part, figuring out which way is easier. All right. Last weekend of April is going to be the NFL draft. So we're a little bit over, what is the math on that? Three weeks away from the NFL draft officially getting here. And I was blown away by this. Uh, I think most of you out there listening right now, and this is a stat from the Wall Street Journal, would assume that if you are drafting a quarterback in the first round, that there wouldn't be that much difference in terms of success level based on where you're drafted in the first round. Because I think a lot of you are like me. You sit around and you say, okay, well, uh, Aaron Rodgers went in the 20s. Um, you know, There are a bunch of guys, obviously, that are at the top of the list. Russell Wilson, Tom Brady, not guys who went at the top of the first round or even in the first round at all. Like you run through the list, and I think the difference between being a top of the first round pick, middle of the road, whatever it is, would not be that substantial. But this is pretty interesting. How have quarterbacks taken, and I want to get your guys' reaction to this. Do you think this is as surprising as I do? How quarterbacks taken at various tiers of the first round have fared in the NFL since 2000? All right, this is almost now. 2000 doesn't seem that long ago, but it's almost a generation. Almost 20 years worth of data to rely on here. Quarterbacks that were picked first through fifth overall, there have been 22 of them. Number of Pro Bowls that they have gone to, 14. All right, number of Pro Bowls they've gone to, 14. Their touchdown to interception ratio is 1.27, and the amount of games they have started, 74. All right, that's just one to five. Then there's a huge drop off. Pick six to 10. There were six guys drafted, which is kind of crazy in and of itself, six quarterbacks taken 
in spots 6 to 10. They made zero Pro Bowls. They had a touchdown-to-interception ratio of 1.11, so pretty substantially dropped off, and they got 45 starts. Then the entire rest of the first round, 11-32, to there have been 20 total quarterbacks drafted since 2000. They have gotten four Pro Bowl starts out of that mix, almost all of whom I would bet were Aaron Rodgers. Uh, sorry, number of Pro Bowl quarterbacks, not Pro Bowl starts. Their touchdown-to-interception ratio down to just barely even, and they've only gotten 33 starts. So there's a lot of talk about how it's a 50-50 proposition in terms of who pans out and who doesn't. But is that as wild to you guys as it is to me that the difference between being picked 1-5 to five is massive when it comes compared to 6-32? to 32? In other words, this is an easy way to break it down. Quarterbacks drafted 1-5 to five in nearly the last 20 years have had 14 Pro Bowl appearances. Quarterbacks drafted 6-32, to 32, still in the first round in the last 20 years, have had only four Pro Bowl appearances. Jason Martin, is that a stat that to you kind of jumps out and says, wow? I mean, because I, I think most people out there sitting around are like, oh, there's not that much difference in the grand scheme of things between being a top five pick and being a first-round pick in general at the quarterback position, according to the data over the last 18 years, it's actually a massive difference between whether or not you're a top-five guy or not. Yeah, it does jump out to me. I was trying to contextualize and figure out like why it makes sense as you were laying it out. And, and to me, it's this. If you're getting picked in the top five, it's not a reach. Most of the time as a quarterback, it's not a reach. It's somebody that you've watched that you really like that maybe you moved up to get or maybe you were already in position and desperately needed a quarterback and those guys leaped off the screen to you. Then you start getting in that 6-10, to 10, and especially in that like 10-20 to 20 range, and you start seeing teams get a little bit antsy make moves they otherwise wouldn't because, oh, well, I better get a quarterback now, and they go draft somebody a little bit faster than you expect that might not have the same level of skill set. So these guys are getting picked maybe higher than their talent would otherwise indicate because there's always a dearth of great quarterbacks out there to draft. So I think that might explain it, but it's definitely a stat that jumps out to Yeah, me. and let me explain this again for everybody out there listening. There have been 22 quarterbacks drafted 1-5 to five since 2000 in the NFL. 14 of them have made the Pro Bowl, all right? 14 out of 22. That's not the number of times they've made the Pro Bowl. Like, I think I may have phrased that in a way that people didn't understand it as well as I should have. There are 22 guys who've been picked 1-5 to five in the NFL in the last since 2000 at quarterback. 14 of those quarterbacks have, at some point, made the Pro Bowl. Now, it's not necessarily that those guys have been great. For instance, I can think of one off the top of my head who's not very good, Vince Young. But he made the Pro Bowl. He made the Pro Bowl, I believe, his rookie year because a lot of times guys end up turning it down and they continue to draft down. But 14 out of 22, and the touchdown-to-interception ratio is substantially better. Picked 6-10, to 10, nobody who's ever been picked 6-10 to 10 in the 21st century has made the Pro Bowl. Not even made it. Picks 11-32, to 32, four of those guys have gone on to make the Pro Bowl. So... I mean, that's pretty crazy when you think about, at least for me, when I think about first-round quarterbacks, I kind of lump them all together. I certainly, in my mind, don't distinguish between guys who went 1-5 to five versus guys who went 6-32. to 32. But there, if you want to break it down, again, 
there have been 26 quarterbacks drafted from 6 to 32 in the NFL. They have conspired, those 26 quarterbacks combined, only four of them ever made the Pro Bowl. So four out of 26 if you are drafted in 6 to 32 versus if you're a top five pick, 14 out of 22 have made the Pro Bowl. Now, it doesn't mean that you're going to be a stud. Obviously, I just pointed to Vince Young who made the Pro Bowl. You can still be a bust in terms of being a big-time winner. But 14 out of 22 if you are drafted 1 to 5 versus 4 out of 26 if you are drafted 6 to 32, that's really eye-opening to me. I mean, the, the, basically, there is a clear delineation there between if you're a top five quarterback, and look, we may have three quarterbacks go in the top five this year. May have four. If I'm doing my top five right now, I told you guys I was going to do this. If I'm drafting top five right now, I think this is what's going to happen. I think Darnold's going to go number one overall to the Browns. I think in the second spot, this is kind of the linchpin spot that can change everything. I think in the second spot that the Giants are going to end up drafting a quarterback. And I think they're going to take Josh Rosen. I could be wrong on that, but if I were predicting right now, I think Josh Rosen's going to go number two overall. By the way, did you guys see Jim Mora? Was this over the weekend? I don't know what day it was. We didn't talk about it a lot on the show. I was stunned. Jim Mora said he would take Sam Darnold over Josh Rosen. Did you guys see it? Man, I was like, man. You talk about just throwing your QB under the bus. That, to me, means that Josh Rosen and Jim Mora were not on the same page very often because usually a guy will always defend his guy in the draft just out of loyalty, if nothing else. But I think one overall, Sam Darnold. I think two overall, I'm going to go with uh, Josh Rosen because he reminds me a lot of Eli. Uh, cerebral, not a great athlete, but throws a really pretty ball. Uh, I think that the Giants are going to be in remake mode. I think at three overall, the Jets are going to go with Josh Allen. I think that's the most likely pick. So I think those guys go one, two, three. I think in the four spot, unless they trade out because somebody's in love with a quarterback, and look, it could happen that the Bills are then like, we got to get Baker Mayfield, we got to trade up. That could happen. But otherwise, I think in the four spot, I think that uh, Saquon Barkley would go to the Browns. And then in the five spot, we've got who is drafting there now, the Broncos? Yes. I think the Broncos go get Baker Mayfield. So I think that's my top five right now. I think four quarterbacks are going to go in the top five. And if you look at this data, that means a big difference between whether or not you're a top five guy or not. Now, I don't know how many times we've had four quarterbacks go in the top five. I think it's just a further indication of how important the quarterback position is in the modern day NFL if that ends up happening. But that would not stun me. And it certainly wouldn't stun me either if the Bills trade up to be able to go get their guy. Now, I think the Giants, when they get rid of Jason Pierre-Paul, if they decide to trade Odell Beckham Jr., what they're essentially sending the message is, we don't think we have a Super Bowl-caliber team right now. And if you don't have a Super Bowl-caliber team with Eli Manning, who I believe is going to turn 37 in January, then it's time to cut Eli loose and just go ahead and start rebuilding your franchise. And I think that's kind of where the Giants are right now. Now, they've obviously made a move in terms of going out and redoing the offensive line that would make you think that that might not be the case. And if that's not the case, if the Giants don't trade out at two, then if they use that pick, I think they're going to take Saquon Barkley. But to me, that's a question about what are the Giants doing 
are they rebuilding up there at two or not? But this Wall Street Journal statistic that I saw, man, again, just to kind of bring it home, one to five quarterbacks drafted, 22 of them, 14 have made the Pro Bowl. So 14 out of 22 who were picked one to five. Six to 32, there have been 26 guys. Only four of them have made the Pro Pro Bowl so far. Now, some of these guys are still playing, but that's a pretty prohibitive drop-off. And the quarterback TD to interception rate is substantially different too. Now, you can also argue if you're a top five guy, you get more chances. You get more games to play. All those things probably factor in. But is that the cart before the horse? Is that because they're getting they're better so they get more starts? Or are they getting more starts because they're drafted highly enough that the GM and the coach feel like they need to get those starts? Great stat there from the Wall Street Journal. Going to do the Monday breakdown. I'll do a Monday draft every single Monday from here on out. So as we lead up to the NFL draft, which will be on Thursday, the final Thursday of April, um, I will give you my top five picks. Maybe we'll eventually go and make it top ten, but my top five for sure. And right now I've got four quarterbacks going in that top five. All right, final segment, Monday show. Talk a little bit more about the NCAA tournament coming up and continue to dive into this futility surrounding the Big Ten in the title games as well as Michigan's overall woeful performance in major championships since 1948. I'm Clay Travis. This is Outkick the Coverage on Fox Sports Radio. X, I'll tell you who X wasn't giving it to. IRS. Guy's going to jail, right, for a year? For tax evasion? Yep. Is it one year? Am I right about that? Yeah, yeah one year. Uh, what does it mean when Geico says just 15 minutes she could save you 15% or more on car insurance? It means you probably should have gone to geico.com 15 minutes ago. DMX, uh, tough break for X-Man there. Um, all right, uh, you had some clarification. We were talking about the Sam Darnold um, versus Josh Rosen versus Baker Mayfield versus Josh Allen debate. And Jim Mora's quotes were out there. And Jason Martin, I don't know if we have that audio, but you tracked down like he – as people reacted to those comments, he tried to clarify them, which is always a uh, a sign that you've said something you maybe didn't intend to say. And what did what did he say as clarification? He went to the MMQB and talked to Peter King and basically said, look, originally, and he had said this originally, that this was about a fit for the Browns. If you remember late in 2017, Josh Rosen was thinking about staying at UCLA if the Browns were going to draft him, didn't want to go to Cleveland. So there's at least some speculation that Moore is trying to help him out in that regard. But what he basically said was he thinks he's the number one QB in the draft. This is a quote from the MMQB that came out this morning. He's a franchise changer. He's got the ability to have an immediate impact. His arm talent, intelligence, and his ability to see the game and diagnose the game is rare. He'd come to the sidelines after play, and it was uncanny. He could right away say exactly why he made every decision. And then he says some interesting stuff. He needs to be challenged intellectually so he doesn't get bored. He's a millennial. He wants to know why. Millennials, once they know why, they're good. Josh has a lot of interest in life. If you can hold his concentration level and focus only on football for a few years, he will set the world on fire. He has so much ability, and he's a really good kid. End of quote to Peter King. Interesting. And and Danny G, you said we have audio of Jim Mora. Let's hear that. Because of fit. Yeah. I would take Sam Darnold if I were the Cleveland Browns. You know, I think that uh, that blue-collar, gritty – uh, attitude. I think his teammates will love him. I think the city will love him. He'll say the right things. He'll come in and he'll represent well. I think he kind of represents what Cleveland is. 
And then if I was one of the New York teams, I'd, I'd take Josh like that. I think they're both going to be great pros. I, that's, I mean, I don't know. I mean, if I were Josh Rosen, I would definitely think if your coach comes out and says his teammates are going to love him, he's gritty, he's a warrior, you're kind of like calling me a pussy willow. And then to say, oh, if it's New York, then I would take Josh Rosen like that. It's like an American divide, right? Oh, he's great in L.A. He's great in New York. You put him in a cosmopolitan town, he's going to do really well. But it's not like Cleveland's like, you know, Russia. <laughs> I mean, if you're a really good quarterback, let's, I want to hear that again. Like, that's really kind of a strange commentary from Jim Mora. Let's, let's play that audio again. This is Jim Mora asked who he would take, like, because of fit. And then listen to what he says about Sam Darnold and tell me that's not in some way an indictment of Josh Rosen. Because of fit, yeah, I would take Sam Darnold if I were the Cleveland Browns. You know, I think that uh, that blue-collar, gritty uh, attitude, I think his teammates will love him. I think the city will love him. He'll say the right things. He'll come in and he'll represent well. I think he kind of represents what Cleveland is. And then if I was one of the New York teams, I'd, I'd take Josh like that. I think they're both going to be great pros. I mean, to me, if you say, like, that is damning you with faint praise. If you say, oh, I would take Sam Darnold because he's gritty, his teammates are going to love him, I think he fits the city of Cleveland really well, I think he's going to say the, they say, say the right things, uh, and then you got Josh Rosen, and you're like, oh, he'd do well in New York and L.A., but he's not really a heartland kind of guy. That's a pretty big indictment. Because I don't think in history, maybe I'm wrong in this, I don't think there have been that many quarterbacks who have been tremendous successes that wouldn't have worked everywhere. Is that a crazy position of mine? I, I think that if you are talented enough to work and be successful in New York, then you're going to work with the Browns. I don't think there's that many guys. Like I don't think Eli Manning would have gone to Cleveland. And Obviously, Archie Manning didn't want Eli to go to San Diego, which is how he ended up in New York. But I think Eli would have done pretty well everywhere. I don't think Eli's a unbelievable, extraordinary quarterback. I think he's a Hall of Fame guy because he's won two Super Bowls. And I think he's had really high-level performances at times. But that's an indictment to me. If I am if I am Sam Darnold's agent, I want to go number one overall to Cleveland. Unless Jim Moran knows something about Josh Rosen not getting along with people who are running the Cleveland Browns franchise, I think that's an indictment. Just quickly, indictment or not indictment, Jason Martin. Not a total indictment. I just think I don't think it's about him being good there. I think it's about him fitting there, like liking it, like being happy there. You think about Elway. You think about you think about Eli, as you mentioned. You think about Jim Kelly not wanting to play in Buffalo. There have been some incidents there, and they've been successful. I think Rosen could potentially be successful anywhere because he's good enough. I think it's just more mentally he doesn't want to be in Cleveland, so it wouldn't be as good a fit as Darnold who threw in the rain and said, I want to go to Cleveland. We'll do whatever it takes. Yeah, I just think that's an indictment. If I were a guy as competitive as it is to get drafted, if my head coach didn't say immediately, I think he should be the number one overall pick, I would take that as a pretty big indictment, personally. Clay Travis, Outkick, done Monday, back Tuesday. Talk to you all then. You need parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. 
No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Auto Parts. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts, if you dare. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote.